0: You're listening to the Curious About Cannabis Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Jason Wilson with the Curious About Cannabis Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, Today I am joined by a new friend of mine. I'm very interested to get into some discussions about things I don't know much about. Um, I'm joined with Angus from the Real Real Seed Company. Uh, Thanks so much, Angus, for taking time out of your schedule to chat with me about cannabis taxonomy and land race strains and whatever else we get into today.
1: That's great to be here.
0: Yeah. So, do you mind um, sharing with our listeners just a little bit about what the Real Seed Company is, and um, you know, kind of what you what you've been doing with your time, and what your expertise is, um, and kind of where that's kind of taken you around the world? Because that's one interesting thing about your story is, you know, your travels and everything.
1: Sure. So, um, when I started the, what was essentially just a, a website and a and a hobby uh, back in 2007, but it was a continuation of an interest of mine that goes way back and, you know, in, in, into sort of my teenage years, uh, when I kind of grew up, when I grew up in the UK, uh, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I mean, but the, the real C company itself, uh, didn't really get going until I, um, went to Pakistan in 2007 and, uh, looking for um, land races. Well, um, you know, at that time, I didn't really use the term land races been relatively sort of more recently that that's become part of the kind of popular jargon of of uh, the cannabis world. Um, although you know, it's a it's a, as a term, it goes way back in, in as far as the late uh, 19th century. And it, it, it was applied to crops. Although if you if you look up the term land race in in the dictionary it often refers to a danish pig breed <laughs> known as the land race <laughs> uh, but yeah i mean you know i i don't particularly like the the, the, the term it's got sort of i mean actually the the, the, the term in, in denmark goes back to the you know the 1930s and we all know what was going on in the 1930s and i think in, in Europe that is and uh, right right you know it has I don't know I don't particularly like it as a word but we're it seems we're stuck with it for the minute but anyway um right yeah I've rambled off onto a complete tangent but uh, for, for, for for me the interest was traditional traditional strains uh mm-hmm. so you know the the type of plants that made things like Thai stick and afghan mm-hmm. hashish and this type of thing. That's what I was after because a a, a point had arrived in the UK where very, very suddenly sort of almost in the space of a couple of years, the entire uh, UK cannabis market had shifted from being um, almost entirely dominated by Moroccan hashish, often not very good Moroccan hashish, but there was a a whole bunch of other things you could get if you if you had the right friends, you know, you could find Swazi, Swazi Reds, Nigerian ganja. You know, Afghan hashish, Lebanese hashish, that type of thing. That's what I liked. So that just really vanished. Um, in, in the space of a couple of years around the turn of the millennium, that, that whole thing vanished. And suddenly the entire market was dominated by what we in the UK called skunk. And, um, and uh, unless you grew it yourself, or you had friends who were growing, it was, it was very difficult to, to, to get nice stuff to smoke, you know, and, and and most of what was being grown was um, was uh, um, you know it was sort of um, not 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 the type of strain that I would be interested in. You know, it was very indica, as we inverted commas, gotcha. sort of sedative, stupefying, narcotizing kind <laughs> right. of stuff. That, Stony. The, yeah, yeah. Not not what I was into. I was I I I, I was used to smoking. You know what I what I looked for was kind of uplifting, inspiring, um, effects. I mean, as it happens, the first place I went to collecting for the site was was Pakistan, which is, you know, at, at least in the sort of popular understanding, is associated with um, sedative types of you know so-called indica um,
0: gotcha. plants.
1: But um, yeah, so that's where I went first. Was up to Chitral. And then uh, to a, a place called Peshawar, which um, is right on the Afghan border. It's a, a, a Pashtun city, as in, i.e., a, a, a sort of Afghan, ethnically Afghan city. Where you you're, you're, you're by, by being there, you, you have access to everything that's being grown in Afghanistan. That that kind of border between Peshawar and uh, Afghanistan is not really recognized by, well, or at least at that time wasn't. Um, was effectively non-existent you know we're talking about Mm. the places where osama bin laden went to to hide in the caves of and places and anyway you you have access to everything from the afghan uh, cannabis fields and so i got some seeds there i got some seeds from up in uh the hindu kush in, in Chitral. and yeah that's that's how we got the the website rolling uh was with that that stuff got a bit of attention
0: and, yeah yeah there's there's definitely a a now a renewed interest in trying to rediscover these um you know sort of um I don't know traditional strains i, yeah. I agree with you the term land race is definitely yeah. problematic
1: it's <laughs> just it just, <laughs> it just I, has a it's kind of actually like, it's rather ironic I mean it's like it's completely the uh, sorry to interrupt you by the way, I'm, I've had to caffeinate myself no to, no, it's fine to get it to, to in, in the zone but um, uh, yeah, I mean it's completely the opposite of uh, ironically those sort of 1930s racial racist connotations uh, are right. really the opposite of what uh, of, of what I um, was really motivating me and I think most people who are interested in these things are, are interested in diversity, and right, you know, right. are fascinated by cultures that are different from their own, and and generally want to <laughs> yeah. kind of, you know, and and, and yet it has this horrible kind of connotation of like you know, eugenics, um, yeah, all that, all, all of that dark nineteen thirties um stuff, and it's it's rather ironic that suddenly you know in the era of Trump, because it really is in the last <laughs> sort of four four or five years at the most that I've really noticed a, a very big. Uh, I mean, less than that—two or three years—a really big um, increase in interest um, amongst growers and, and 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 breeders and and so on in, in in rediscovering these plants. You know, so yeah, it's funny how these things you, work.
0: And are you seeing a big interest from the United States, um, yeah. given all of the legalization that's been happening um, in certain states out here? At least I know there's there's been a dis—you know, where I live in Oregon, there's become right. a dissatisfaction with some of the homogeneity of the strains that exist there's mm. sort of a perceived diversity among because there's so many strain names yeah, but when, you, <laughs> yeah. when you when you when yeah. you really get down into it it's there's not a huge difference between a lot of them when you back up and look at the fuller context of cannabis um yeah so that's something i was interested in
1: i mean uh, i mean from the point of view of 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 of, of my own website i mean i you know, I, 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 this is not something I haven't, I haven't invested anything in um, much in the way of advertising or anything like that. So, you know, I wouldn't want to overstate the extent to which um, uh, people even are are, are, are aware of of what I Mm -hmm. do. But, you know, people who people who seek these things out actively, um, will eventually, I think, discover, discover my site and stuff. And, and yes, I've noticed, you know, the, um, you know, uh, uh, American um, people do, Americans do um account for a pretty significant chunk of of the interest i mean there's there's a there's a sort of mentality that you find d- despite all the obvious criticisms you could make of what's going on in the states in terms of cannabis these days that there's a mentality that Americans bring to it which is much more focused and earnest and interested than your average british or you know europeans generally although partly because you've got the climate there you know i mean in a way that we don't in in the UK, you know, and, and yeah, it's and, very uh, arid. Yeah. I mean, you know, but everywhere sort of south from where I imagine you are, it, it, um, you can grow most of these things outside, you know, in a way that you just, you can, if you're really bold in the UK, but you're never going to be able to recreate anything, even approximating the real thing, unfortunately. So that most people who grow these things in the UK are growing them indoors and, real land races are not well adapted um to being put in pots and, and you know they tend to people tend to over water them and they tend to overfeed them so growing indoors it, it requires a quite a high level of skill to, to to really get the most out of these plants indoors you
0: know. well i think i think that segues into into one of the things that you know, we kind of wanted to spend time on is, uh, what are some of the misconceptions that you run into that people often have about land race strains?
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a, the most notorious one is the idea that they're, um, in some sense sort of naturally created, uh, mm. in, in the sense of, um, it, it, let's say we're talking about Thai, Thai stick, you know, and, and mm-hmm. Thai and Lao and, and Cambodian, um, land races which are there's a sort of uh, and I I've, I've I've seen this um traveling around the area talking to people who are looking for for, for cannabis there's a misconception that these plants are in some sense wild or natural it, it, meaning that there's they've spontaneously been created by nature and they are region specific plants right so of course there's been natural selection going on causing them to be able to um flourish in the sort of humid tropical environments that you have in, in this part of the world but insofar as they're potent and they smell good and they have a nice effect and and so on and, and you know and and, and that they they yield well and all these kind of traits they are the product of human beings selecting for what they regard as desirable and what they want right so that that land races are domesticated uh, cannabis, uh, so that's 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 a key misunderstanding uh, amongst many people is that they're in some sense wild. Now you do have um, kind of parallel wild populations north of a, north of the tropics, which are seamlessly kind of related to land races because north of about 25 degrees uh, latitude, uh, cannabis will uh, escape and establish spontaneous populations. Uh, you know, so anywhere north of the Ganges River in India, you'll find astonishing quantities of uh, what you can call colloquially wild cannabis. But if we're being more precise right. in our use of language, it's really weedy, weedy cannabis. Mm-hmm. and the, the trouble for anyone who believes that there is a thing truly wild cannabis is it's more or less, as far as, as far as botanists are concerned, it's impossible to differentiate differentiate between yeah. a true wild population and a, uh, a, 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 a weedy population,
0: right? Right. I mean, botanists um, can't even agree on how to categorize the varieties that are, are um, domesticated, um, for cannabis yeah. in much less, you know. I know there's a debate about whether there actually is any wild cannabis, you know, still in existence or not. But it's it's yeah. kind of hard to argue for given the long history of domestication of cannabis. Well, this is the
1: thing, and and um, uh, I mean, there, there's been a there's been a pretty persuasive um, uh, uh study done by um, John McPartland. And he's looked at, he did a sort of a, I think meta-study is the word, where he's just collated loads and loads of data from a bunch of different studies on uh, pollen, which have involved looking at pollen. Um, and what he did, because the closest relative to, to um, cannabis is the hop, the, the common hop. Right, and, humulus, yeah. Yeah, and their pollen grains are pretty hard to differentiate from each other. So, what he did was he did a he did a, he did a big study um what based on he, he differentiated cannabis and the and, and hop um based on where where you tend to find them growing and hops tend to be associated with forested areas or the hop rather tends to be associated with associated with forest forested areas and then cannabis tends to grow in more arid climates mm-hmm. particularly um sort of step step climates and along right. the edge of rivers and so on and he he um he concluded that the most likely place it originated is probably a Qinghai, which is up on the Tibetan plateau in a um, in sort of western western China. Well, well, you know, Tibet basically, but uh, culturally mm-hmm. speaking, but what's now politically part of of the PRC. And um, right, right. So he he reckons well, they reckon, rather scientists reckon, about twenty eight million. Uh, years ago is probably when cannabis um, separated from the hop and yeah I mean it's a it's a highly plausible place for it to have originated because uh, the center of origin of the hop is almost certainly China as well you've got I think two or three different species of it one of which is associated with, with Yunnan which is just southeast of where he, he, he reckons cannabis originated so you know, and, and it, yeah, it would it work it works pretty well because what you have, a, you know, fast-forwarding a few million years, by the time you get to the, um, the what they call the axial age, um, which is really the beginning of what we now think of as civilization, you you have, um, you know, this is this is the era of kind of the Greek philosophers and the Buddha mm-hmm. and and um, the beginnings of, of, of Chinese civilization. By the time you get to this point um you have um a pretty clear differentiation with um east and, east and west of Qinghai, right so west of Qinghai, gotcha. you've got you've got all these um finds of Scythian uh burials like in xinjiang and then up in a little north of xinjiang in pazirik in the Al- altai you have these burials <clears throat> of um of it, sort of in, well, Iranian. I think most likely ethnically Iranian, possibly in, mm-hmm. Indo-European uh, people, but Europoid basically in uh, burials. You know, um, and then east of Qinghai, you've got um, Han culture, you know, Chinese culture proper, kind of forming, and it's, it's pr- pretty clear that the Chinese were not much interested in drug use by and large, they were interested in fiber and particularly by the time of the Han, Han dynasty, they, they developed paper. Whereas the Indo-Europeans and Iranians were clearly much more interested in getting high and mm. clearly ascribed a lot of significance to it culturally. I mean, they were burying people covered in cannabis plants like the the, the, um, the, uh, the find in Turpan ter- from uh, a few years ago, which is in, in, in Xinjiang. There's a I think he appears to be a shaman of some kind. I think whose 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 who's bur- burial shroud was covered in cannabis plants. And Then all all around that area, there of are, there's um, there are cannabis inflorescences in all of the graves. And then up in the Altai, uh, just north of, I say just north. I mean hundreds of kilometers north, but within, <laughs> right, right, yeah, within within what's the, yeah within what is clearly the Scythian. What we'd call the Scythian cultural zone, right? Which goes from kind of um, Tuva on the edge of Mongolia is is probably where the Scythians Scythian culture uh, originated. And then going west from there, you you know, you have um, the as I say, the one in Pazirik, which which is literally um, as as well not literally, but as Herodotus describes in Mm -hmm. uh, the Histories. You know, you have the you have the um the, the the sort of the sensor uh or no sorry the tent rather the the, 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 the you have a tent uh which um, underneath which um they they put a um uh what's the what's the word I'm having a meltdown but anyway you know they they've been fumigating basically themselves oh. using yeah, using yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. using
1: cannabis right and this is basically exactly as yeah, 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 exactly that. Yeah, and and um, this is what uh, and, and and these these burial finds date to exactly the area when Herodotus was um uh he he sailed north from from Athens up to um the the north coast of the Black Sea, which is the sort of western extremity of of, of the Scythian culture zone, and he yeah. described him doing getting high off cannabis, right? So you have. These are all around about 500 BC ish, you know, um, which is this really crucial yeah, point man. in human history, and and you have another one um, uh, on the on the on the, the western edge of uh, Xinjiang um, that they discovered literally last year, I think, which which is all these um, I can't remember the name of these damn things, but like you put hot coals in you put hot coals in a in a container, and then you put cannabis on top of that, and, right?
0: Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So it just vaporizes, yeah, yeah.
1: And so they, they found, yeah. like in in this um, in, in this find recently, um, ten of these things, all of which had uh, THC all over all over the inside residues, CBN rather, you know, and and, and right, related right. Yeah. related things, and 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 clearly indicating that these were domesticated cannabis plants that were being smoked. So this right. this wasn't just feral uh, stuff. That these people were selecting consciously or unconsciously there, for potency. Yeah yeah
0: yeah there was there was intent behind yeah, how they were using clearly. it and everything yeah
1: yeah and and clearly that's... ascribing huge significance you know culturally to getting stoned um, right yeah that's that's yeah.
0: what was running through my head it's it's one it's fascinating to think about that history and cannabis's role you know all the way back then and the spiritual significance um that it had to cultures back then and still has to some to some cultures now and um just maybe not talked about in that context as much anymore um, but i think it's still there um yeah i mean it'd be really
1: sorry yeah go on yeah oh no go go for it brazier is the word i'm looking for brazier okay uh okay as opposed to brazier. yeah brazier. anyway um and uh <laughs> yeah, braziers are the things that i'm trying to remember the name of and you know you, you can you can find them going way back to the sort of really uh, early bronze age uh, as as far as I, as far as i know and um uh, all across the the central asian uh, uh steppe you know um yeah but it, but, yeah. It's, but it seems like the people who they call the, the, the the sort of general term, the Scythians, which is a kind of a, mm-hmm. catch-all, uh, right. a, a catch-all term for a, um, basically northern, Ara- northern Iranians, ethnically speaking, they were northern northern Iranians. So they, some sometime at the early or late Bronze Age, but they seem to, see this mm-hmm. sort of cult- type of culture seems to have basically dominated all the way from what we now think of as the, the western edge of China all, all the way across to, what's now ukraine And yeah. these these are the guys who invented cavalry warfare the compound mm-hmm. bow they were pretty formidable people they clearly had a lot of money a lot of money not money but a lot of wealth because they were they, they yeah, most likely because they were controlling trade routes going uh that, that that connected the edge of the black sea on the western half of where you found them they were controlling trade routes there. They were making a lot of uh, wealth off trading with the uh, Greeks. Uh, mm-hmm. They were trading wheat and furs and fish and this kind of thing. And there were Greek settlers all along the edge of the Black Sea who were doing business with them. And they, these guys, judging by what you find in their graves, were getting hugely wealthy. They had gold. They had, you know, there's a there's a finding in Stavropol from a few years ago, which is Stavropol is like. Southern Russia, just north of the Caucasus, where there's a gold, okay. um, a, a, a gold vessel, which um, has uh, cannabis and and uh, opium residues all around the inside of it as well. So they seem to have been drinking, drinking cannabis, as well as smoking it. But I mean, yeah. if, you, if you go to if you go to um, the Hermitage Museum in Saint Petersburg, I mean, it's just absolutely stuffed with uh, Scythian gold, the uh, beautiful. Um, a bit of stuff. I mean, um, they were they were master craftsmen in terms of working with metal and stuff. Um, but in terms of what getting stoned actually uh, meant to them, it's not. You know, it's all. you have, There's a sort of speculation essentially as to what they were doing. But it appears right. it appears to be what we, we, we would call shamanic use in some respects, and almost certainly recreational in others. But um, what, what Herodotus describes. Is them using it at funerals, and he he understood it to be a kind of post post burial funeral purification, at which they were smoking in uh, these tents. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, if if you read um Mircea Eliade, who's a sort of uh, he was a Romanian um, fascist but expert on uh, shamanism, uh, he mm-hmm. he he thinks that the Scythians were. Um, he, th- he thinks it was a, yeah, sh- sh- shamanic use, probably involving them in some literal or metaphorical sense, accompanying their leaders to the afterlife by getting stoned. So... Oh, gotcha.
0: Yeah. Of, yeah. Following them in their consciousness to help uh, yeah. that transition.
1: Yeah. I wow. mean, because, I mean, what what you have is, like, these horrific, uh, in, in modern, uh, in, 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 at least by our standards, burials at which... Um, when when a leader of a of a Scythian clan uh, dies, he they dig these huge huge um, burial um, sh- graves, huge huge graves. Then they um, put the 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 leader in there. Then then they they bring all his kind of retinue and his, his comitatus, his his near his sort of his his right. um, elite uh, followers. Bring them to the edge, strangle them, dump them in there, his wives, his his servants, oh, man. All, all get killed, and then his horses all get stuck on spikes all around him in this big. Thing. <laughs> Basically, he's going off to the afterlife with his with his crew, and, right? Everything um, <laughs> he loves,
0: yeah, yeah, wow. and uh,
1: and, uh, and then after that, um, it, it is the smoke up. Well, but I think to get to the to get to that point, the the whole the whole clan go around the territory sort of flagellating themselves cutting themselves it seems like kind of symbolically killing themselves mm-hmm. basically
0: right they be right. covered
1: in blood and and everything by the time they actually get to smoking you know so it's not not right. a session for the faint heart faint of heart you know <laughs> right yeah 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well in um i
0: saw a post uh recently that you made on instagram about an ascetic sect that use cannabis that, um, I can't, you can remind me what the, the name of, uh, the, of the, the Aghoris sect actually.
1: Yeah. the, Agor- the Aghoris, Aghoris. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, um, you were explaining that they, um, part of their, um, approach to life is trying to point out the non-dualism of yeah. of reality. They engage in a lot <laughs> of, um, um behavior that seems to either have no meaning or is taboo or um that sort of thing and one of the things they do is uh other than consuming quite large quantities of cannabis but um they engage in cannibalism and and other interesting things that if yeah if you were to uh (laughs) want to be involved in their smoke sessions uh yeah Yeah. not for the faint of heart
1: (laughs) no definitely not yeah i mean um i mean to to get from the Scythians to the Ogoris, um is at least in my reckoning a, quite a a leap in terms of history. Mm-hmm. So, right. Uh, just, just as a sort of caveat, I would say like there's a there's a tendency, uh, particularly among Westerners, but to a lesser extent among Indians themselves, to sort of always bring everything in India kind of you know way back to the earliest possible dates you can. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, some people would like to link the Agories who are um, Shaivite, uh, shivite uh, Sh- mm-hmm. shiva worshipping sorry um right. Shaivite, right. Uh, uh, sect would like to link them way back to um things like the vedas you know so that's going mm-hmm. the um the attava Veda mentions cannabis and that's that sort of it, um uh you know may may conceivably predate the sort of Scythian, uh early Scythian cultures we're talking about uh, it's mm-hmm. eight hundred eight hundred b c one thousand b c that kind of era but i i would see the agoris as something much more uh modern inverted commas at least at least um uh, medieval kind of era we're talking about mm-hmm. the beginnings of the type of this type of really extreme ascetic cannabis culture in in india so um i I don't, I don't know. I think the Aghoris themselves don't even claim to be that old in the sense of their really important um, sort of founding gurus, maybe kind of 17th century or 18th century even. But anyway, the sort of, the sort of things they're um, doing, yeah, really, really interesting. I I mean, to what extent you can make any essential connections between using cannabis and and their kind of philosophy, I I, I don't know, but it probably really does help to... To <laughs> to be pretty high <laughs> if you're right. If, if you're doing these kind of things, but but I mean, in, in the kind of I don't know, I don't know why I'm going towards the more cautious end of the. Of, uh, my instinct is often to go to, to, to be fairly cautious in, in in describing these things. In the sense of how much of a link you want to make between cannabis and 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 and, and the, right. the belief systems, right? But I mean, the, the agori path is essentially a, a thing called a of Advaita Vedanta, which is um, this sort of philosophy of non-dualism. The only thing that exists is the soul. There's only one soul. Mm-hmm. Everything else is 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 illusion, right? Very really deep stuff right. and fascinating. But if you if you if you talk to sadhus, that's these um, ascetics in India, and you ask them about cannabis ones i when i when I've spoken to Sadhus about it, they've been very clear um cannabis is a sort of incidental part of their life. It's absolutely not part of mm. the path itself as in the the strictly um doctrinally sort of circumscribed belief system yeah. and 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 the route that they're walking on that the practices they have even 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 the the sort of more notorious sadhus uh who who belong to um uh kind of um like uh, they um they call them akaras, which are kind of um institutional organizations that they're part of. Some 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 Akaras are notorious for, for for being stoned all the time. But even if you speak to them they'll say, well no no, getting stoned is just something we do, it, it's part of our way of life. They'll be stoned twenty four seven. Yeah. But it's not it's absolutely not part of the path you know mm-hmm. ha- having said that, having said that um it's clear that there's there's not a black and white line between that because if you yeah if if you go to these these guys will wander all around India, and if you go to places they wander to and 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 spend a few days out or a few weeks out or sometimes a few years at they they will always have cannabis growing around there they they call these places like Sh- shivalia like um shiva places there'll always be oh, okay. like ganja ganja growing in the tropical ones and in, in in the himalayas there'll always be charis production and and these guys will say oh this is prasad this is like sacrament from shiva so Shiva's giving them the cannabis even if the cannabis right. isn't helping them get to shiva per se right but then but then when they spark up they'll say little things that phrases and so on that have a, a, they'll say like "alak alak niranjan" when they when they spark up a chillum, and if you ask them what does that mean, um it's, no one has ever given me a satisfactory explanation. But <laughs> it, it it can mean like "behold the mystery" or uh, something like that, right? So yeah. it's they are there's clearly a kind of a, a link, you know, between the sort of um, right right the the um what's the word you know the um eschatolo- this, eschatology is that the right word anyway it's clearly got some kind of a link to, to the path, and in, in the sense of they they, they they do there is a sense of this, this inspiration or even connection of some right. kind Just with the truth sort
0: of sac- sacramental um yeah, pra- prayer sacramental tool part. or yeah yeah, yeah 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 totally
1: so it shades it all shades in uh you know from one right yeah,
0: yeah the line is quite blurry well and um you know that leads into something i wanted to hear from you with your experiences traveling to these different places living in in some of these uh different areas getting to meet um people in very different cultures than what um you know particularly Westerners out here in the United States and even, you know, folks in the, in the UK and, you know, um, Western Europe and everything wouldn't necessarily um, be exposed to um, very much. Um, Well, one, I wanted to learn about where you've traveled to and where you've spent time. And then I wanted to hear a little bit about how you've connected with these people and learned about their cultures and how they use cannabis and how you've gotten um, you know, exposure to, to these land strains and everything. Um, do you mind kind of sharing that story? However you want to go sure, into yeah. it? Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, um, as I say, my, um, my primary interest in these things originally was, was getting high and, and, and just liking the aromas and flavors of traditional cannabis. So that's mm-hmm. how I got into that. But in, in terms of my, um, academic kind of background, um, and, and other other interests i have uh you know i'm i'm not a botanist i'm not a a scientist although i did study sciences growing up and was already was always interested in that side of things and and didn't really understand our traditional western divide between the arts and the sciences right so i i could never i, I never really bought into that idea that if you're into literature you have to be into literature and if you're into
0: Right. Yep. Biology. You've you got to be into
1: biology. Yeah. So, um, my academic qualifications actually uh, English literature. Um, mm. at, at the last minute, I decided to do that, having always planned to do biological sciences and that kind of thing. But I realised if I did that, I'd have to um do some work, and <laughs> you can't really bull- <laughs> you can't really bullshit your way through a science degree. So, um. And then, having 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 got a literature qualification, I then went on and did a master's in um, Buddhist studies and Indian religions, hmm. that 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 kind of thing, and was always very interested in that. So that's what took me to Asia, a, along with the interest in cannabis was uh, was was an interest in in the. I mean, I, I hate the word spiritual, but in the inter, in, Energy, an interest in, this, yeah. in the spiritual side of things, and. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I, you know, it was, it was, spending time in places like Thailand and the Himalaya that, um, you know, with, where, with a little bit of effort you can find still even these days, really nice traditional cannabis. So that's what, um, you know, that that's, that's how that worked. And then, you know, I, have lived in, in Laos. i spent a lot of time in India, um, and, and Thailand and um, have been visiting uh, Pakistan on and off uh, for more than a decade. And, um, you know, I mean, it's, um, I wouldn't want to overstate the extent to which, um, you know, I've, I've gone that deep into the, in, in, in into the culture, because I'm, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a practitioner of any of these mm-hmm. things. But it sure. But it but it but it all it's it's all fascinating to me. And um you know, even even Buddhism um which in its more orthodox interpretations um doesn't really have much to do with cannabis at all, although people will often say it does it, you know right. early early Buddhism I think is highly unlikely to have had any involvement with cannabis and, and if if you read um the kind of um I think called the the Vinaya, which is the monastic regulations of, of gotcha, early Buddhism yeah. about how, how you ought to behave if you're a monk and stuff. It, it's clear that there was a lot of people were getting high, you know, um, in, in the sort of era we're talking 400, 300 BC through to the sort of second century CE when I- institutional um, uh, Buddhism was monastic Buddhism was, 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 was really flourishing across North India, and they were, they were developing these uh, regulations about how you ought to behave. It's clear there are a lot of inverted commas, intoxicants, you know, around, not just alcohol, there were all kinds of brews and, and and so on that people were drinking. And whether they were smoking or not, is not clear. But um, the Buddhism is quite practical. So they tended to just prohibit anything that got you, but made you lose your wits, basically. So I think right. it's pr- pretty likely that they were, they, they prescribed the use of cannabis implicitly, just by any kind of intoxicant, you don't do that, you shouldn't do that. Even if even if you're a householder, you should avoid losing control of yourself, right. Um, so right. I think, you know, it, that Buddhism, in its most sort of orthodox sense, didn't have much to do with cannabis. But by the time you you get to the era of of, um, uh, sort of tantric Buddhism and these later de- later developments, I think even right. Buddhism had a, started to to um, get involved in in uh, sort of Central and South Asian cannabis culture, and they started to intermingle. If 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 you look at um, um, some of the early Chinese writing about about cannabis um they talk about how they, they, these kind of um uh i wouldn't say shamans but i think the translation i've read is quite weird it sort of says like spiritual technicians or something but anyway there were people who, who were using cannabis to um to, to see the future and com- commune with ghosts and mm-hmm. stuff like that and and there's um, some of these Chinese texts, well, they all tend to get called Taoist, but actually they're pretty clearly some of them are Buddhist, and 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 this this is stuff that's coming into China f- across the Silk Road from places mm-hmm. like um, um, Parthia and Sogdia, Sogdiana and um, Central Asian non-Chinese areas where where Buddhism was really flourishing in in the sort of early centuries CE. I know, but you were asking about myself in terms of in terms of interacting with people and talking to people and stuff I mean you, you know all, all these places like India and Pakistan and you know Laos and Thailand Thailand to, to a lesser extent because of the law but all of these places it's it's really easy to if, if you spend a bit of time hanging around and, and even master just a bit of basic local languages and you don't you don't even need that in India I mean English English is fine in India and Pakistan you can yeah. you can talk to people and you know a shared interest in getting stoned is a pretty good basis for striking up a friendship, you know, or at least an acquaintance. <laughs> and uh, yeah,
0: it's uh, something that know. transcends all countries.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it, it really does. And um, you know, that's that's something I'm, you know, in, in terms of the bigger picture. Like, I, you know, it would be one of my favourite sort of comments on uh, the Instagram account recently was from, from a guy who saw this picture of some mujahideen that I'd posted uh kind of um post post um uh Afghan Civil War like nineteen nineties of these Mujahideen guys like um smoking a an Afghan chillum and um and uh you know these these guys were Sufis. They they were from the, 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 the uh not from the sort of Islamist uh, extremist end of uh the Mujahideen, These guys right, were, right, were, gotcha. were yeah. the more chill, chilled kind, and um, they, you know, they would. And he said, "Well, this just looks like me and my mates at college, like <laughs> hit, hitting the bong, you know." And and you, and, you, and you realize like, actually, how we're all, you know, human beings. You know, the, the variety is what makes the cultural variety is what makes life so fascinating, but also, yeah. you know. we we do need to have some sort of mutual common ground for for meeting in the middle, you know, and and smoking pot is about as, as, as good, you know, an excuse to hang out with people as, as, as there is. And, but yeah, I mean, going, going back to, um, just because it's, it's something I've been working on recently. So it's at the forefront of my mind, but going back to this business of, um, Buddhism and cannabis and stuff, um,
0: you
1: know, central Asia, um sort of the hindu kush and north of there um was clearly like although you can only kind of infer it but it was clearly a sort of zone of of really intense kind of um philosophical and cultural ferment that was always getting involved in cannabis because it was around you know it was it's clearly been growing in those areas for millennia and um right right so by the time you get to the um the, the period at which um, Islam suddenly just explodes into Central Asia out of uh, Arabia, so sort of 9th, 10th century, you, you get this sort astonishing moment between then and sort of 14th century, where all these different cultures like Buddhism, Zoroastrianism, um, Islam, Hinduism, all kind of meet together around Afghanistan and that sort of area. And, um, you, you, you have this, um, you have these, uh, I think we were talking about the Scythians, What you have this second kind of, uh, point at which cannabis culture sort of diffuses across Eurasia, you know? So in, in, in my mind, the Scythians are the kind of the first major wave yeah. of dope culture that kind of explodes across as far as the frontier of cultural frontier of Europe and then you have a second wave um right at the beginning of the 13th century when suddenly you get this sort of islamic dope culture um that just explodes explodes into india and across right as far as eventually as far as um southern spain um yeah. you know out of central asia and um mm-hmm. and, and 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 an orthodox uh Sunni Muslim would probably not approve of this as being really proper Islam, right? But as far as the right. people who are involved, there's this group called the kind of cultural phenomenon, I suppose, rather than any coherent group, but called the Kalandas, who are these um Islamic um ascetic sort of wanderers who who, who um who who bought um you know, hashish, the technique of making hashish, uh, the, the, the sieving technique, would seem to have done if you look at, it, it seems highly likely, bought this um, hashish technique and, and dope culture generally, like out of Central Asia, again, it, it, almost certainly cannabis was already in places like Syria and Turkey in, in some form or other, it, be it in a weedy form, or even you know, hemp and that kind of stuff. But you really don't see much evidence for it until suddenly at the beginning of the um, 13th century, you get this explosion of it. And, and what had happened was that it was the Mongol conquest. So Genghis Khan had suddenly appeared wow, and just wow. um, didn't much like these kalandas and just was slaughtering them in their thousands in places like northern Afghanistan and you know, Samarkand, Bukhara, Balkh, um nishapur these really important silk road cities you know he just trashed the entire place killed all the kind of weirdos you know the hippies basically kind of muslim hippies yeah yeah
0: Mm
1: -hmm. so these guys were like running for their lives into india and um wherever they can get to be safe yeah yeah so you get this huge wave of of um of 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 dope, dope culture kind of spreading across and and bringing bringing with it these um you know, crazy ideas that were a kind of blend of like uh, actually very close to sort of Zen Buddhism, which mm-hmm. people don't tend to associate with Central Asia, but that's pretty much where it came from. Uh, we we think of Japan and China and stuff, but actually right, these right. You, you know actually actually if you look at you know Bodhidharma right you know he's this bearded figure the red the red bearded foreigner from the west yeah, who yeah. brought who brought Zen to to China. So you know that's what that's the kind of zone we're talking about. But these guys were mixing kind of Buddhist ideas with um, what we call Sufism, probably throwing a bit of Zoroastrianism and and you know a bit of Hinduism, I mean Hinduism in the loose sense of the word, and um, you know and, and uh, up until that point you don't see any mention of um, cannabis in Islamic law or anything like that, um, and then suddenly you know in, in the space of a few decades you have all these myths of people discovering cannabis, nor was the Kalandas like different, each different Kalanda movement had their sort of guru who they credited with discovering cannabis. Right. Yeah. Um, so, Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling.
0: Well, the, no, this is great. Cause this is stuff mm. I don't, I just don't know that much about, you know, a lot of yeah. my, um, a lot of my time, is spent these days looking at cannabis from like a the chemistry side uh yeah, So yeah, some yeah. of my my background you know I work in labs and analyze right, right. C- cannabis chemical constituents and everything but the the cultural history is just something that I don't have a lot of exposure to and so yeah. it's fascinating to me to hear um you know uh, this sort of grand story, you know, that you're laying out about how cannabis has um, evolved as far as its place in these cultures and then geographically how it's spread. It's it's super, super fascinating. Yes, um, it's, and it it's is bring, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's bringing up so many. Uh, uh, so I relate to what you said about when you were in school and trying to decide what path to go down. My original mm-hmm. major was philosophy. So, like, right, my, right. <laughs> my, my first degree I got was philosophy, um, right, right, right. And, and, and I share a lot of similar interests with you as far as um, um, trying to understand different philosophies, religions, that sort of thing. That's um, It's something I, I don't get much time to do these days, but it's a big part of, um, of my core interests and passions so it's I'm I'm stoked to hear you talk about all this it's it's really really cool and I don't have much to add just because I don't know much but I I love you know hearing the knowledge that you've gained um um through all of your your studies and traveling in these in all these different places and and getting a I think you have a, a a really unique perspective compared to most people um because of that exposure that you have um it's, yeah, it's, I mean, certainly it's fascinating
1: it's it's um i think i think a lot of people particularly are interested in land races are really interested in this question of okay and cannabis generally are really interested in this question of you know how how it all started and and, and where where cannabis came mm-hmm. from and, and how it got to be where we are now so in in the back of my mind when i've been waffling has been you know the um sort of western counterculture which which until very recently, like cannabis was unequivocally part of, you know, so that's what I'm right. trying to, trying to, in, in my mind, I've always been trying to f- sort of fit it in t- into that pattern, you know, mm-hmm. so, you know, the nomadic culture of the Scythians and the kind of radical Islamic counterculture of the Calandas and, you know, the hippies being, you know, the hippies right. being our sort of, our, our equivalent, who, who's, who just spread cannabis. Well, actually, there's, there's bits in between. The hippies and the clanders that are really, really important—the the colonial era and you know, the slave Indian slaves taken to the Caribbean and this and, and so on—but um, you know, in the back of my mind, this sort of uh, you know, I, I have my inner hippie who I'm occasionally in touch mm-hmm. with, and other times yeah. less so. But that's the sort of bit of me that's always wanted to try and um, you know get the get this picture of, of how everything got to be the way yeah. it is now, you know. Um, well, what's
0: interesting—the the a common thread that I hear in in the stories that you're telling is that, you know, while you have these periods where cannabis may be sort of widely embraced by a culture, um, and not just the the counterculture, it is the you know sort of quote unquote hippie populations that end up carrying it um, wherever it needs to go if the culture yeah. changes. Um, yeah, I mean it's and. Yeah yeah and that's you know we've we it's it's awesome to hear all of these stories um and how far back in history that dynamic goes and because generally yeah, i mean up until modern day you, you see that as well
1: i mean it's it, it's right at the very the very first encounter between uh western culture what what we yep. in the west call consider to be our kind of founding culture which is the Greeks so they that you know the re- the reason we call cannabis cannabis is because the Greeks got yep. the word from the Scythians, right? So yep. Um. And 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 you know the Scythians, as far as the Greeks were concerned, were barbarians. You know, barbarian comes from mm-hmm. what the Greeks heard when when they heard people like the Scythians speaking. They just heard ba 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 ba, right?
0: Yeah. So yeah. you know
1: that's what the word barbarian literally comes from. So you know, as far as the Greeks were concerned. Although Herodotus himself, who recorded this stuff, he he um, he 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 was actually fascinated by uh, the Scythians and, and didn't in any way look down on them. He 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 was impressed mm-hmm. by them. But you know he, he they used to call him like Philo Barbaros, which is like lover of barbarians. And at, at the yeah. beginning, that wasn't a disparaging term. Like later on, it became a, a kind of a put down. You know, the Romans and and so on, and the, some Greeks. Thought Herodotus was a bit weird for being so interested in the way other peoples (laughs) did things, but as far as he was, as far as Herodotus was concerned, there there are as many different ways of doing things as people choose to
0: to have,
1: right? But so you know, anyway, uh, you know, that's that foundational kind of encounter between the West and the East, in 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 the loosest possible sense, was 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 just north of the Black Sea when when Herodotus went to olbia and 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 witnessed all of this. And yeah, as as you're saying, it's like it's always um cannabis has always had this contested status as to whether it's acceptable or not. And actually it's always been that way. That there's a tendency for um Westerners to say, oh, it's all this new thing and it's the terrible, <laughs> you know, terrible Americans or the terrible British who who've imposed these These puritanical ideas on the rest of the world, and of course, there is an element of element of truth to that. But um, in reality, like in India, you know, your attitude towards cannabis very much is 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 a tale as to what your kind of um, your cultural sympathies are, right? So the assumption that it's sort of unequivocally part of Indian culture. I mean, yes, it is part of Indian culture, but as to whether it's whether or not it's an acceptable part of Indian culture. You know, you right, certainly, right. you certainly can't assume that because someone is a Hindu, they're going to be down with you smoking a chillum. And in fact, <laughs> they're almost certainly not. They're more likely, much more likely, not going to be okay with that. Uh, yeah. Particularly if, you, particularly if you're smoking, because smoking, and particularly using charas like hashish, mm-hmm. it, 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 uh, is 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 not um, in any sense. Uh, um, you know, um, considered to be um, orthodox, okay behavior. You know,
0: yeah, yeah like yeah, um, yeah.
1: you know, drink drinking bang um, is 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 part of um, certain festivals, and and some people might do it habitually, but you know, even to assume that uh, because someone's Hindu, they're going to be okay with you getting high on bang. Again, mm-hmm. it's not an assumption that you can. Necessarily make, you know. So it has this sort of ambivalent, right. this ambivalent place in the culture, you know. Like I've I spoken to like yeah, really yeah. high caste Brahmins who've been like, "Oh, this is just a folk thing. It's nothing really to do with um, Shiva, particularly. It's something that kind of countryside people do or uneducated people do." You know, <laughs> there's there's, yeah. there's just there's, there's as many stigmatizations heaped onto it, right? As, yeah, as, as you see, as there is anywhere, anywhere else. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know,
0: and it's interesting, you know. You just said you can you can tell things about someone's um, cultural ideas, maybe even political ideas, mm. and everything based on on their feeling on cannabis. A, a discussion mm. that's been going on, uh, particularly here in Oregon in the United States, since uh, cannabis was legalized, and you know, big business is coming in. It's turning into this real. Yeah. Um, Commodity. Um, I had a conversation with somebody very recently. I'm still working on editing the audio and everything. But um, something that that guest brought up was that something that's been lost in the whole uh, legalization movement is that dynamic that now you can't Mm -hmm. tell where someone stands on political issues or cultural issues yeah, yeah, thing, yeah. based on, based on their interaction with cannabis. Cause now it's, you know, it is the socially now accepted thing. Oh, to, God, I mean, there's these to...
1: notorious like Bush era Republicans, like sitting on the board of these, like, right, exactly. You know, John Boehner or whatever his name is. Like, <laughs>
0: yeah. it's,
1: it's like, yeah, no, I mean, it's, 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 it's really, I mean, that's partly for me, and I, and, I, and I think probably explains partly why land races are getting a bit more interest to some extent is that people are trying to get back in touch with the kind of roots of uh, with with the, with, the, with the sort of countercultural roots of these things because
0: you know yeah, in Asia yeah. you've got
1: this limitless sort of reservoir of countercultural philosophies and and ideas around cannabis but yeah like you're saying I mean we're at this we're at this uh, really pivotal moment where you know it's going from being this counter Definitively countercultural symbol, which in in, in the sixties and stuff, it was like if you if you smoked a joint, you know, you, you were one hundred percent guaranteed to be like anti-racist, you know, anti-war, right, right.
0: Exactly. probably
1: to some extent anti-capitalist. Although you know that's less clear with the smuggling culture and the Brotherhood of Eternal right. Love and stuff, who <laughs> definitely yep, were not anti-capitalist. Yep. But but um, <laughs> uh, you know, like um, it it's gone from that era of things being very clear-cut and black and white to this really odd point now where everyone's feeling slightly disorientated. It's like, hang on a minute, yeah. you know, what, what is this plan actually about? If, if it suddenly becomes this, um, you know, this big marijuana, you know, cannabis yeah. corporation, it's basically a yeah, counterculture to corporation basically is what we're at now, yeah. which is a, a very yeah. weird transition to be in. But of course we forget that a lot of capitalists are kind of quite, you know, are anarchists in, in a, in a very bourgeois sense of the word anarchist. Been you know, a lot of these Republicans yep. and Tories and that, who are kind of our, our equivalent in the UK, their instincts yep. are very like anti-state, you know, make money. I hate this, you know, yep. I want to smash up the state, which actually cannabis is, is fits pretty well with really, you know, cause <laughs> yeah. it, it's a, uh, it's, yep. it, but it's a strange transition for people who, who have slightly different ideas about what it means to be, um, countercultural, you know? Uh, yeah yeah yeah. so um it's 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 an odd it's an odd um moment in history to be living through yeah
0: yeah Yeah. it is it's 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 bizarre to to witness and you know like for me um i i grew up in an extremely conservative uh state in the united states where cannabis was quite prohibited still is you know where when i when i grew up you know if you got caught smoking or even if you had as little as you know a half a gram uh on your purse on your person you know you could have your whole life ruined and then i moved to oregon where it's a you know everything's flipped on its head and um yeah you've got everybody rushing in to uh try to capitalize on on it as a crop and
1: Mm. it'll
0: be interesting to see see how it evolves you know as a as a biologist, I hope to see the um a focus on preserving genetic diversity and it's something that um yeah when i was when I was first learning about the work that you were doing that really attracted me to that is you know some of my i mean totally non cannabis work that I've been involved in is like um as a botanist scouting native plant populations collecting seed, trying to um establish region specific um Stores of genetic materials of plants to use Mm -hmm. for restoration and research and everything like that And I view some of the work that you're doing very similar in that, you know You're essentially going around scouting trying to collect these genetics and um, Protect them in the form that you can because obviously with with plants and breeding and everything. It's I think one misconception with land races um, that I've seen is uh, people think that if you take a land race strain um, from anywhere in the world, and you grow it somewhere else, it's going to be the same as it was where it came from. And right, yeah. I, you, you, what you alluded to of the indoor growing really highlights that that it yes. doesn't quite work that way. You, you change the plant as you cultivate it, but there's still all a lot of that genetic diversity there in its DNA that you can breed out um, into all sorts of forms that aren't even present in. The landrace strains as they present themselves in Thailand or Laos or wherever you are. Yeah, uh, I mean, um, them.
1: yeah, I mean, it, that sort of that that segue from what we were talking about with the kind of the change from uh, well, this this new corporate in, involvement. Um, mm-hmm. Just 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 before I forget, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's an interesting point in terms of what um, you're talking about in terms of preservation uh, you know, germplasm preservation, Yes, yeah, this kind yeah. of thing, um, this, this f- f- for the hardcore capitalists out there, you know, they have to realize there's a real limitation in terms of what business is going to be interested in doing in terms of conserving these things, because not every land race is guaranteed to be of immediately obvious use to a business that's yeah. making that's in this for profit. Right. In fact, a significant chunk of them are likely to not be useful, you know, that there are going to be really useful disease resistance traits and drought resistant traits, mm-hmm. which are bound to be, you know, the way things are going right now are going to be essential in the future. You, you, and you may well find these things in, uh, in, in, in um, weedy populations that are not by any means mm-hmm. connoisseur cannabis, but weedy populations will have developed these adaptations. Uh, right. right. And, um, you know, so but but in in terms of business doing any of this, it's you know it's highly unlikely that businesses are going to be bothering to do anything about this, right? So <laughs> for, for 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 a lot of people who've been on the receiving end of some really misguided legislation since you know the 1930s in America, uh, um, you know, and, and people people who grew up in you know, baby boomer generation people who've got an instinctive right distrust right. and dislike of the state, you know, which may well have completely screwed up their life for no good reason, because of having point one of a gram of cannabis. It's it's yeah. a bit, it's a, it, it's a, it's a difficult transition to the sort of position I'm at now, which is basically the only, the only people yeah. who I, th- I think are likely to be interested in doing the necessary work to preserve these things is is the state. Because they, they're the only people who've got the resources and who who don't have to be um you know um uh uh you know subordinated to the profit motive in everything they're doing. Right, and maybe some right. some botanical gardens, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but you know, there's some botanical gardens and, and so on that, that one hopes sure, will eventually sure. get into doing these things. But you know, in, in Russia it's the Vavilov Institute, which I'm not sure if it's actually a state-owned thing or not, but it's quite likely to, well it certainly was in the past. But, you know that's mm-hmm. got they've got one of the best um collections of germplasm uh and seed and stuff and then you know there's some there's a, there's some in china and there's gatter's in 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 germany who, who have some collections but the, the rest of it is in private hands um i don't know if gw pharmaceuticals have acquired anyone's collection i think they might have done but um you know the rest of it's in private hands and private hand private you know corporations don't have uh, unless they're going to do these things in a sort of charitable way, any incentive to get involved in this? Right. So you know, um, I, I hope that at some point, you know, when they legalize federally in the states and in Canada and in the UK and so on, that they'll actually get serious about, you know, preserving some of this stuff because if they don't, it's all going to be wiped out uh, pretty quickly. You know, in the next couple yeah, of decades. It doesn't take long. Yeah. No. yeah. And. Um, you know it's, it's already underway the internet has accelerated these things dramatically in the last few years you know india pakistan uh, cambodia uh, you know they've got um you know there's a lot of stuff has been wiped out and, and and i think my 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 sense is that the internet has been a bigger bigger um problem than prohibition has you know because the the dynamics of prohibition are such that um you know you have the sort of balloon effect, you know, where mm-hmm. you crack down one place and and the and the seeds get moved somewhere else. And that's that, that's been going on for, 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 for much longer than the West has been involved in, in prohibiting these things. You know, um uh but you know hybrid hybrid seed goes wherever anyone's got a connection to these to the internet these days, which is essentially yep. everywhere. And you know um, it's it's not just backpackers and, and expats who are who, who are who are bringing seeds to these places now you know you, all across um, tropical India you've got sort of mongrelized land races being used Cambodia is a complete disaster zone in terms of there's very few areas of Cambodia now where you don't find hybrids and um, um, you know even even Pakistan people have started uh, growing these things you know so it's um,
0: and how do you how do you tease that out when you're when you're hunting for true to type land race strains how well, do you yeah. how do you tease out that hybridization to know that what you're cluing in on is um well you know, i think i have a, you know, a slight advantage true-to-type.
1: i mean you know in in any truly scientific empirical sense uh you know i i i i'm you know i, I can't i can't claim that um you know I, I definitely get it right but i'm I'm ninety 99 point i'm 99 right, right, i'm 99 sure that I, I i can tell partly because um you know i i grew up in the pre-hybrid era in, in in the uk or at least in an era in which it was it was you know it was it was in my teenage years when suddenly so-called skunk a, a, appeared and um you know throughout my sort of college years university years i, I was I had a choice of the two different things. And I, and, I, and I think I have a pretty good sense of at least my nose. I have, I have a good nose. I'm, I'm, I'm into sort of tea and stuff like that. I'm, and yeah. I'm you know, one of my other fascinations is tea. So I've, I, I've, I, I, I've, I've, I think I have a pretty good sense of when, um, you know, particularly those, they're very obvious, those, those Afghani kind of Hindu kushi notes. If, if, and, and you can also see in the morphology of the plants and the morphology of the of, of the buds, it's normally pretty damn obvious when um, when the, when when hybrids have 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 started to affect a land race. You know, I've I can't remember when I first saw Indian ganja. That it, it wasn't that long ago. It was sort of four or five years ago at the most that I first saw uh, these um, mongrelized Indian ganja land races. and uh, it was it was just it was very obvious compared to traditional Indian ganja that this stuff, everything about its appearance, not just its smell was clearly not a true ganja land race, you know, and the same in Cambodia, a, a lot of what you see in the in the, in the Cambodian pizza places and bars is very obviously um, a, a messed up land race. And in fact, the first time I saw it in the UK um, was um, imported Caribbean, Caribbean um, ganja that you know it's, and and it's experientially it's quite obvious as well like you smoke it and you just you just don't get the same that kind of luminous uplifting sort of you know sunshine mm. kind of effect that you got from the traditional stuff but this the this sort of um stuff you suddenly used to get from Jamaica and stuff was just dreadful it was like it was so flat it was and, and the smell wasn't even mm. compelling you know yeah. but um Anyway, I mean, so basically, to answer your question, yeah, I mean, sort of, my eyes and my, particularly my nose, tell me that something is and uh, something's been affected. And, and normally, anyway, it, it's it's fairly predictable where you're going to see these things because it's always places that the, the backpacker trail uh, gotcha, goes to, where things right? are flowing. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the thing is, a sort of blessing of the of this is is that by and large, most people who go. Uh, on on holidays, these places are not very um, original in their choice of destination, right? So you can go to... <laughs> right,
0: right, yeah. Yeah, I
1: mean, it's, it's quite extraordinary the extent to which people just do the same thing as everyone else, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, extreme examples of this, if, if you go to Bangkok, right, there's an area called Khao San Road. And mm-hmm. if, if you walk towards Khao San Road, you won't see very many foreigners. And then suddenly... You'll see hundreds of foreigners, and they all walk around the same, <laughs> the same two or three streets, and nobody really goes yep. anywhere else. You know, and and so mercifully, yep. that 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 kind of behavioural trait plays out across most of Asia. So, if you go to somewhere in the Himalaya that's off the beaten track, uh, you you know you just don't see these these kinds of plants. Whereas if you go to Mil- Mil- Milana and Parvati, which yeah a, a major destinations uh for for, for for smokers in india you immediately you see the uh you know the, those those smells and those types of leaves and stuff on the plant
0: yeah and and so visually um, when you talk about the the differences in like bud structure and leaves do these do the hybridized forms tend to um have like uh denser bud structures wider leaves what's uh what kind of things yeah. do you notice there?
1: Well, I mean, the the, the 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 the. I mean, the thing you'll see in um like uh parvati uh plants, and um is um you know you will see that very distinctive um Afghan influence sort of shade mm-hmm. leaf shape that that I mean the thing the thing is okay like. It you you know it when you see it but. To, right. to 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 um to uh to over the the thing is with cannabis is everything integrates you know because it's yep, fertile. Yep. so you have this sort of seamless transition of forms anyway between right. between the sort of Hindu Kush region um and and the Western Himalayan region so mm-hmm. pure or sort of authentic pure land race anyway when in in the early vegetative stage. Himalayan land races have quite broad leaflets anyway, and they can look mm-hmm. rather like a a sort of stereotypical Afghan mite. Mm-hmm. Although there's there is a there is a difference, and I think an experienced grower would be able to tell, oh, well, that's not what I would think of as a as a stereotypical Afghan leaf yeah. shape. But yeah. you know, you 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 nevertheless because these these are domesticated um domesticated strains you know domestic domestication has the effect of in, of increasing the area of leaves uh, you know um whereas uh when when the plants go wild the, the leaves get smaller right so you know populations with really um uh, sorry areas of asia which have got millennia of cannabis growing like china you get these very large uh large leaves and broad leafleted uh, Chinese hemp land races and similarly around the Hindu Kush and that sort of area, you have, you, you know, almost certainly have millennia of domestication going on. So you have, mm-hmm. hence why you have that sort of stereotypical Afghan uh, leaf shape that we associate with that area. But even within, um, even within Afghanistan itself, you have this uh, um, sort of continuum of, uh, of of of, of traits you know so
0: yeah
1: actually if you if if you grow um uh a, a, an afghan land race that's been taken directly from afghanistan within that land race you will have a, a sort of an a, a intergradation of uh of traits you know so at one extreme you will have what we think of as a real afghan leaf shape and then at another extreme you'll have what we think of as more of a sativa, inverted commas, Mm -hmm. leaf shape, something towards that end of the spectrum anyway, right? So the reason we've got all this confusion in the West about are there many different species of cannabis and stuff is because um, basically like Richard Evans Schultes, who's this uh, famous Harvard um, botanist, um, when he had his kind of assault on the american legal system his like libertarian assault on the american legal system to get all his students out of jail he he um <laughs> he he uh he um i think consciously selected the extremes of variation in order to make his case for there being these different species now I, i'm being slightly unfair i don't know if he really was doing sure, the whole sure, thing
0: yeah.
1: in in uh, in bad faith, or you know, out of out of uh,
0: for very well, morally really
1: very sound reasons, but I suspect he was consciously throwing a spanner in the works of of of, of the uh, Nixon administration. And um, you know, he 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 chose the extremes of variation, right? So he chose this extreme indica type individual plant, and and it was just the one. When they were having all these court cases in the 70s, it was just right. the one plant, you know, and it was <laughs> right, the one yeah. plant that Anderson, who was working with him, was using. And yep. their one specimen, and then, you know, and then, and then um, uh, you know, the, the ruderalis and the, the sativa. So, you mm-hmm. know, you choose, the, just choose the, ch- the those are the, the three kind of extremes of variation that they could uh, go for in terms of what you find in drug type. Cannabis, mm-hmm. and you know, claim those are three species. But what you have in reality is total inter- in integration. Integration just for people who are listening means that basically you transition from one form to another form seamlessly into in between them. And that that's what yep. you have in, in in reality on the ground in, in cannabis is you have this between the domesticated extreme and 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 the weedy quotes wild extreme. You have this mm-hmm. seamless transition uh in, in in areas where cannabis will uh, naturalize or, or is native and um and and then similarly in places like the Hindu Kush in Afghanistan you have uh you know this um this uh continuum of variation, you know. So you know to my mind right, I, right. you were saying at the beginning um that there is this sort of controversy about is cannabis uh, one species or is it several species. I I would say, and I think botanical orthodoxy has a pretty clear consensus that it is just a a monotypic genus. Uh, That that means monospecific genus would be the the most accurate way to put it, which means cannabis as a genus just has the one species and then an incredible array of morphological variation within that. But the the essential fundamental variation you get within it is due to people's selecting for what they want.
0: And then the, um, the chemotaxonomical uh, diversity, too. So you've got right. all of the morphological diversity. And then when you start looking at the chemical profiles, yeah. um, you start seeing varying chemical profiles associated with single morphological traits. And so it, it it's really it's so widely diverse. And um, that's that's my uh, conclusion as well. Um, yeah. Just from a botanical perspective, it seems pretty straightforward that it's a single species with multiple subspecies, and then multiple um, cultivars and forms, you yeah. know. Um, yeah, I mean, all I, of that. Um,
1: I, 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 would, um, I would go with um, Ernest Small and uh, Arthur Cronquist in, in in saying that mm-hmm. there are two. There are just the two subspecies. Uh, in other words, um, hemp, inverted commas, as in fibre, fibre plants and then marijuana inverted commas, meaning you know drug inverted commas I keep putting inverted yeah, commas you know, and everything because, <laughs> yep. you know, because
0: I actually know you, yeah yeah you can
1: you can use some um, hemp as a, as, a, as a medicinal drug as well exactly very high c b d and so on but anyway, yep. marijuana and hemp i mean i I don't like either word, but we're stuck with as a philosopher, you'll it's... appreciate this we're stuck with our limited and rather yep, yeah rather this... fluid terminology but um Yeah, you know, I would say two subspecies. uh, 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 And and, and then I I think the variety in the strict botanical sense, each subspecies has its domesticated and its weedy ruderal Mm -hmm. uh, varieties in in the botanical sense of variety. And then everything else, if we want to name it, we don't use Latin, we use, um, you know, um, Whatever the term is, fancy names. whatever anyway, English. English right. You, whatever, you, you crazy, English.
0: whatever crazy, whatever crazy strain name they've come up with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and,
1: yeah, and yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it. It's it, this, this, um, this, 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 the thing about this, the whole species controversy. I think, and it, 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 personally, it it's much more to do with the culture wars than it is to do with any really serious botanical mm-hmm. doubt about it. Now that yeah. might, there might bound to be people who disagree with me, but I I, I think that the um what we were talking about with the court cases in the 70s where uh, Schulte's um uh, you know he's 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 suddenly between 1970 and 1974 well actually 1970 and about 1972 that was when he started to appear as a, as a as a as an expert witness for the defence in these court cases he he suddenly reversed his whole position on the taxonomy of cannabis between one paper, where in 1970, he gave this very coherent authoritative account of, you know, cannabis is a is a monotypic genus, it has just the one species, everyone knows that it's obvious, and you have a different ecotypes and cultivars within that, but it's right. just one species. And then suddenly 1972, he's had this huge change of heart, and he's <laughs> appearing as an expert witness. Um, claiming that there's three species and the legislation only mentions cannabis sativa. How can the prosecution right. prove that this is, this is not cannabis indica, not indica. or cannabis ruderalis? Yep. And, you know, and, and then he, he just breaks it all up into this kind of really like counterintuitive. Suddenly you put cannabis sativa is, is, is hemp and it's kind of Indian ganja yep. um, land races. And you spun them in together. <laughs> you know, just create, create chaos. I don't, it's, and the, um, yeah. yeah,
0: and and we've been stuck yeah. with that chaos um, yeah. since then. I mean, that's that's yeah. been the widely adopted model in in a in sort of the popular culture. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's been hard to break away from the but, the basic three species model.
1: Yeah, and and interestingly, like the now that it's becoming now that we're having legalization, you're seeing more and more aficionados like me kind of abandoning that old what you could call the yeah. kind of countercultural taxonomy of Shorty's and people and sort of abandoning that as 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 cannabis becomes less controversial. I don't know if there's any real connection between the two, but it, it seems to me that what you had with um with uh, the, the sort of Shorty's taxonomy, I think the reason that had the staying power that it that it did was there were several factors, but one of them was essentially that like, this was the counterculture's way of kind of keeping its possession of cannabis. It's like, this is our plant. You know, Mm. we, we, we we understand it better than you guys. It's ours. It's not, it's not yours. Yours being the man and you know, the state. Right, right, right. You know, and, and, you know, so I think that's one of the reasons it had the longevity it did, but also I think because, um, because breeders like, uh, you know, Sam Skunkman, and Mel Frank, and, and Neville, and people were, were were selecting for the extreme variants as well, you know, so people, I think, were consciously selecting for those really big sort of maple leaf indica traits, and Mm -hmm. and selecting for the more extreme sativa sort of haze traits. And, you know, so actually, we create, we sort of our, our own preconceptions, actually, ironically influence the plant itself, right? Yep. You know, so you have a kind yep. of self confirming feedback. Yeah, bias. To... Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> yeah. And <clears throat> I know um in, in more recent years there's been attempts to kind of clarify um um some of the, the single species model as far as how terms like Indica are used, whether Afghanica should be uh, yeah integrated into that and differentiated from indica um i know uh robert clark has a criticism of small in that he and and i haven't gone to look at these uh, sessions so i don't know but he claims that he went to look at the samples that small took to um come to his um you know, structure of uh cannabis sativa subspecies sativa and subspecies indica and everything and said that there were mm. no accessions from Afghanistan present in those collections. Um right. and so I, that I'm, there I'm needed not... to be some some clarity on that, on how to integrate um a differentiation between things that are more from India versus Afghanistan and then the, yeah, the I sativa think... model, which is yeah
1: sorry i keep interrupting you because i'm so no 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 it's fine oh. this is this is great um, no worries um yeah on that on that point i'm, I'm not sure is that right i mean he, he definitely had access to um uh I, i'd need to look at the papers but for sure for sure there was stuff from from Chitral in 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 there and i'm pretty sure he had i mean he, he was a small uh, the sort of in his one thousand, nine hundred and seventy-five paper, at that point he was the only person to have done a kind of single garden uh, mm-hmm. grow, which yeah. is what you need to do to to have a sort of objective sense of, of what these plants are. Right, so they're I, subjected I th- to the same he, environment. Yeah, I think he. I mean, he, I'm, I'm sure he would have had access to sort of Mississippi stuff as well. Plus, he had all of Vavilov's. We um, had Vavilov's some um, type specimens for. He would have he would have been aware of that because he'd have had um, he'd have known about all that stuff for his Yeah, Africa. yeah. That I, was like I, I in the 20s, thing. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean and he, he certainly would have had access to those uh papers and stuff. I mean he was a government scientist or he is a government mm-hmm. scientist in Canada. So um yeah, I mean I the, the the yeah, I mean I you know I I I mean Robert Clark's not here to make his case himself, but I mean he's, exactly, he's, he's yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's published um he's published extensively on the on 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 the subject but uh I, I think it's I, I think in terms of in terms of the really important points, I, I see what Ernest Small has done is actually in many ways truer to Vavilov's more important mm-hmm. um uh you know, things like homologous series and, you know, the, the integration and this kind of stuff, which I think were Vavilov's more important um points about cannabis. Whereas Rob Clark has sort of perpetuated the um the aspects of Vavilov's work that I think are less convincing, right? So you have, you have Vavilov, when he first went to, um, or rather, when he first wrote about Afghanistan, because right, he went, right. this is, I mean, Nikolai Nikolai Vavilov is sort of really important um, in many fields, not just uh, cannabis, but he, he went through Afghanistan and then through into Western China uh, in 1924, I think it was. And, yeah. and, and so he... He, he observed, uh, domesticated cannabis being grown for hashish, particularly in the north of the country. And then he believed when he went through the Southern Hindu Kush, right on the border of what was then India, and is now Pakistan, um, through the Kunar Valley, um, he believed he, 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 what he saw there was sort of spontaneous populations of cannabis in an area in which they would, he thought there was no cultivation going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and And when he first wrote about it in 1926 he was he, 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 he the taxon he created was cannabis sativa var, var afghanica and yeah, then yeah yeah and then um then he and and, and what he what he, he, he at that point he hadn't um come up with this idea of Kafiristanica yet. So it, right. what he seemed to be thinking at that point was that this was a sort of um, this Kunar population was like a, 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 a wild population that was related to what he understood as being the more northern Af- northern Afghan, like Turkistani, is what he would, what he said, like mm-hmm. Turkistani, Central Asian drug land races, basically, and mm-hmm. and he and he saw the Afghanica as a sort of wild uh, relative of that. And yeah, because it was heavily branched and um you know essentially that. Uh and, and then and then he I think between then and and a paper he wrote in nineteen twenty nine, they they grew out a lot of the seeds he'd collected in Afghanistan in, in in an area near the near the Caucasus in southern Russia, so you know, fairly uh, warm, sunny place. Anyway, they, mm-hmm. they grew them out on a farm there and at that point he seems to really like when he wrote about it subsequently he seems to have, to have had a completely new idea which is that um actually this was a cannabis indica in the sense of the, the lamarck sense of it um uh, and, and and was a separate species and a separate what he's called a separate um locus of derivation or something. Anyway, he what he meant yeah, was, that yeah. essentially, like, he believed that in from the Kunar and then into the into the in Pakistani Hindu Kush was a, a, an area of wild cannabis. And, and that 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 area was the area from which the cannabis to the south was 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 domesticated. So he was he what he was seeing was uh, a, a connection between, you know, he, he believed that what we would think of as sativas, as in tropical mm-hmm. inverted commas tropical right. ganja plants like sort of haze and Thai mm-hmm. and stuff were derived from this Kunar and sort of Chitrali Hindu Kush area wild populations there and the the, the Central Asian hashish, hashish plants he was seeing growing in the north north of Afghanistan like Badakhshan and Herat and then up into Samarkand Bukhara all these mm-hmm. old cannabis places that they were a separate species of which hemp was also a part, you know. So it's a pretty mm-hmm. weird, weird kind of picture he yeah, painted. Yeah. And uh yep. and and then uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So and and so, you know, so they have this kind of divide basically between India and Central Asia with two their own two different drug types and and um and and, and then he created this idea of uh, cannabis uh, indica, Indica kafiristanica, which is a sort of true the true the true mm-hmm. wild population and then Afghan Afghanica was a sort of intermediate stage between the wild plants and the ganja plants in, in Bavilov, which is, so it's, it's not actually what, um, Rob Clark and people have, 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 have sort of turned and, and Carl hillick have, 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 um, have turned it into, you know, that it was actually a slightly different right. picture, you know, he, he wasn't, he, he wasn't interested in the broad leaflet aspect of it because actually, yeah if, yeah. If, 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 if you look, if you, he doesn't, he never mentions broad leaflets. What he says in his 1926 write-up is that Afghanica had narrow leaflets and very small leaves, right? Mm-hmm. Small leaves with narrow leaflets, like heavily branched, which is what you'd expect in a kind of feral, weedy, ruderal population. Because when, right. when cannabis, and, you, and, you, yeah.
0: and you mentioned that he was using indica in the Lamarck sense, and yeah, in yeah. the way Lamarck. You know, it's it's contrary to how people think about Indica now, but when Lamarck yeah. described <laughs> yeah. Indica, he was talking about narrow leaves, not not broad leaves.
1: Yeah, and and also um I, I'm not sure like um uh where where um Vavilov was getting his ideas about what India Indian Ganja land races, as in the Lamarck Indica. Yeah. What they look like. I, I suspect he was reading the um Indian Hemp Drugs Commission. I, I pretty likely mm-hmm. he would have had access to the British colonial era documents mm-hmm. you know it's huge huge multi volume um description of cannabis in, in in India and and you know which touches on Afghanistan and stuff and uh, you know India at that point included uh, what's now Pakistan and and anyway so I suspect Vavilov was was um getting his ideas about what an Indian ganja plant looked like from from things like that because if you look yeah. at the pictures there's photos in there and if you look at the photos of the Like Bengali ganja fields. You know, Mm -hmm. they're quite small, they're quite small plants and they're they're not uh, what we would think of as sativas necessarily looking like, you know. And, 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 um, yeah, not tall and and wide-ranging necessarily. No, and, 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 and he he, he also seemed to have this idea that like the Lamarck indica was a very small-leaved plant. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I, I haven't actually looked at um, a picture of it for a while, but I think the type specimen for it. I doubt it has particularly small leaves. I think he might have, Vavilov might have been confused on that particular point. But um, anyway, suffice to say, like, that I I think there's some quite obvious incoherence in what Vavilov, the the picture he paints, because the, the thing is, is that, as I say, like, his Afghanica is a sort of intermediate stage between the kafiristanica and proper domesticated Mm-hmm. Indian Indian cannabis, and 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 the thing he the thing he says of, um, about Afghanica is it looks the same as as his Kafiristanica. There's no, it, there's no difference between them except for one key point, which is the seeds, and yep. the yep. the seeds of the of, of of Afghanica is the only thing that differentiates it. In all in all other respects, it looks the same mm-hmm. uh, as as the type specimen that he that he published for for it and and um the the difference is basically the seeds of afghanica show some clear signs of domestication so mm. um you know they're not they're not mottled and they don't have the, the same um extended base uh that they show signs of domestication now to me if 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 i was if i was in his position you know and i had a time machine back to 1924 and went along with him i'd say well look nikolai i think it's pretty obvious that people have been growing dope around here Uh, at (laughs) some point they're not doing it right now maybe but at some point they've been doing it whether it was a hundred years ago or whether it was a couple of years ago (laughs) i don't know but yeah you know at at, at that point
0: definitely influenced things
1: yeah someone has been someone has been growing this stuff it's not a purely wild population and your domesticated seed traits indicate that you know and 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 um and also the fact that if you look at, if if you look at it um the because only uh, only small uses um look at uh you know as uh, as his concept as as his type specimen sort of uh, for um you know his 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 uh, taxon of uh, cannabis sativa subspecies indica of the weedy dope basically but if you look at, if you look at the the, the plants it it's not a, type specimens are often not um, very good representations of what they should be, right? Right, yes, yes. But often they're just something that you attach a a name to. That's their main purpose. It's just a name-bearing specimen. And if you were to ask me, like, if I was to select a a plant as a representative Kafiristanica plant, I would go for something with much more obviously narrow leaves, much more obviously weedy-looking plant than that. Mm-hmm. To me, that looks a lot like a, an Afghan dope, dope land race, you know, a uh, hash yeah. race.
0: So, oh, and this is uh, this is a common issue in, in botany broadly, because when I was uh, doing the work that I was doing, collecting uh, native plants around Oregon and everything, we would right. uh, create botanical vouchers. Um, yeah. And so two things. One, the seed issue came up a lot. As some plants, the only way you could differentiate them was looking at the seeds and the morphologies mm-hmm. of the seeds. Um, But another thing, too, is, you know, you really wanted to um, establish as many examples of that specimen of that species as you can, because, um, you know, one representative doesn't communicate the nuances that you get accustomed to seeing in the field when you're looking at all the things, these things regularly. So it makes it hard for people to go through your work and really understand those differences in a sophisticated Mm -hmm. way. Um, and that's what
1: we—that's what we don't have with cannabis, you know. And and that's what we very much didn't have in in the Schultes, uh, yeah. you know, controversy was that, you know, um, other than Ernest Small, I don't think anyone at that point had really even got close to a, a properly sort of statistically representative mm-hmm. sample, uh, you know, um, of, of of what you get in in reality. Um, yeah. So. You know, just 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 to 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 finish that thought about what was going on in Afghanistan in in the 1920s, um, yeah. it was actually a, a quite a a period of quite a lot of change. From 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 the sort of latter quarter of the 19th century into the early 20th century, Afghanistan, uh, its its cannabis economy had had really been uh, shifting um, towards export, and and yeah. um, for for the for the for the British India cannabis market which was you know the almost certainly the world's largest market for cannabis drugs at that point in history so you had a lot of export coming from uh xinjiang in northwest china but you also had um uh what's his name abdul rahman khan and then the guy after him the the, the two kings of afghanistan from the late 19 sort of eight for the 1880s through to the 1920s both of them had very consciously shifted the afghan economy towards um exporting Hash to to India. So what they did was they, ah. they 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 kept um they they kept taxes really high for anyone who was producing for the domestic market, and they had some pretty uh, punitive uh, policies for, for users and stuff. But if you if you wanted to take all your hash across the border to India, you know, go ahead, you know, and 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 we're not wow, going to tax you at all. So yeah. so so um <laughs> so so what you had all along the frontier of of, of India was you had just huge amounts of smuggling and 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 production going on and uh there's a place that that mentions called like achin or something which is like and and i'm not sure he uses a strange name for it but anyway it's like i have a i'm not sure where exactly he means but it it, there's a there's just to the south of kunar or just not not far from kunar where he was there was certainly would have been a fair amount of cultivation going on in like what's now uh nangaha province i think it is Anyway, all along the frontier with India, there there was just a a major boom in in, uh, production for export and quite a lot of low quality hashish was being produced and and quite a lot of good quality stuff was being produced as well. But if you were in India and you wanted to buy um, good quality charas, hashish, if you were near the frontier, you wouldn't go to a British government licensed uh, vendor. You'd go to the black market and you'd get your your Afghan hashish, your good quality Afghan hashish for a fraction of the price that you would have bought it from uh, the licensed vendors. So you had this like thriving black market that was flooding uh, Northwest to India with with, um, contraband dope. And then, you know, you had like um, most of the stuff from uh, Xinjiang in, in China that found its way through to the Punjab further east. In, in what we now think of as india um mm-hmm. most of that was getting at least the majority of it was getting um uh, caught up in the in the taxation framework that the British had set up but over, over on the on the afghan side it was like it seems that the majority of the market was being supplied by black market afghan hash yeah, yeah. so uh, and wow. I don't know if Avilov would have been i don't know if he'll, if he'll have been cognizant of that and Plus, right. he wasn't actually a particularly reliable witness because I mean, he went around Xinjiang, which was probably the largest hash producer in the world at that point, and and didn't notice any production. <laughs> you know, they, 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 they were pretty produ- they were producing like hundreds of tons of hash every year that was like flooding into India, and he's like, no, I don't see anything. And the uh, and the thing the the, 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 the the problem the problem was that he was Russian, right? So the, the, the Chinese Turkestanis, the, the Uyghurs, uh, um, mm. who, who were growing all the hash in Xinjiang, would have known that. And, <clears throat> and I'm pretty sure they would have consciously diverted him away from any of their fields because mm. I, I suspect yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what happened. That's what happened because when the Russians uh, in the sort of 1860s, 1870s, sometime around then anyway, when they'd gone into Central Asia, what they had done was they'd shut down or attempted to shut down the cannabis industry so when you know in, in what's now Uzbekistan and places, yeah. they they would they they crack down on all of that. So as as a Russian, he would have been you know sort of
0: yeah they would I have been I can... very skeptical.
1: Yeah, they're like don't don't show this guy your fields, man. Like just keep him away. <laughs> show him show him show him that that patch of weedy dope over near the, the you know. So the, he's just he's just blissfully ignorant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a remarkable feat to go around like what's essentially like you know the equivalent of like. Humboldt or something, so it's like much, much bigger. But somehow he managed to go around and like not notice any dope fields. So, um, you
0: know. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, those are elements to that whole story that I would have never thought about, um, yes. you know, reading through uh, all of his work and everything and, and trying to decipher this uh, puzzle of cannabis yeah. taxonomy. Um, yeah it's it's really it's really interesting and really convoluted especially like I know mcPartland has made attempts to try to clarify the taxonomy as well and gotten into the afghan uh, discussion yeah. um sometimes <laughs> yeah sometimes it, it seems like it makes it just more complicated than it needs to be oh uh, yeah things. it's
1: it's 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 a it's it's a it's, a, it's a, the whole you know the whole the whole sort of term, terminological nightmare that you came into. Is that an indica? Well, what do you mean by indica? Like I spend my life answering emails like this. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> so... Well, and it's it's complicated because different botanists, different taxonomists, uh, try to categorize cannabis according to different traits. You know, some are looking yeah, at yeah. morphology, some are looking at, at chemical diversity, some are only focused on genetics. You, you have scientists that can't even agree on what the word species means. You know, yeah. You've got yeah. more traditional biologists like myself that would be like, well, if it interbreeds and produces viable offspring, then, you know, that's probably one species. Um, yeah. But then you have uh, geneticists that are like, well, no, we see very distinct genetic pools. And that's kind of where Carl Hillig was trying to yeah. tease some of that out with some of the research he did. It's like, no, I see two distinct gene pools. They probably came from one progenitor, but um, it seems like now they're, they're distinct uh, gene pools and...
1: I think I think with the yeah. I think with um I think sort of keeping it on a sort of external basis, it, you know, just what the plants look like, um, yeah, with with the naked eye. I mean, I I don't know I I, I find because because as, as as well as the interfertility and the viable offspring aspect, you, you've got to have a dis, discontinuity discontinuity of of, of, of variation, right? I think it's a right, pretty right. a pretty key criteria for assigning uh something to a different species and 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 the thing yeah. is because 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 the western underground um and and now kind of corporate world is 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 you know and the corporate world by and large is taking its cue from the, the underground Yeah. Uh, understanding of these things for the time being because it's because it's familiar with the extremes of variation you know the maple leaf indicas and the hazes and mm-hmm. so on. It it it. There's. I think it's going to take a while for that understanding to. To to, to change, you know, across the board, but I, yeah. I just think you know you, you, what you definitely don't have if you look at um, land races on the ground is you don't have this obvious discontinuity of variation that you need to really start talking seriously about different species, and 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 you know my criticism of of of, of Carl Hiddig's paper is that he used 150 or so uh, different accessions. But in terms of the Hindu Kush, which was a really crucial area for his uh, thing, for his studies, you know, he only had 12 or so accessions of which eight or nine of them were from Amsterdam. Um, And, you know, only three or four were from directly from Pakistan and places. And I think one of them was uh, ruderal specimen from like Uzbekistan or somewhere as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it it, not really from the Hindu Kush proper in any sense, and and uh, you know so I it I love it. I love those papers they're great and I should reread them and and, and re- get my head around what he's yeah, talking about. Yeah. But um, I, I'm not persuaded that he makes a, a con, you know a convincing case for for for, for talk, really talking about different species.
0: Uh, right, and and with any research like that, it's important not to draw conclusions from a single. Um investigation like that yeah, you know it really takes several and
1: yeah and that's what rob clark did you know he, he he does say it himself he's based his his taxonomy primarily on those four almost exclusively on those four studies by carl Hillig. you know so
0: right. it's
1: you know it's it's all of us and I, i'm not even a scientist but you know i think even botanists like rob clark and and and, and carl Hillig, you know. We, we, we as, as human beings, we have this, and this gets into your philosophy again. You know, we have this tendency to, even as scientists, to to to, yep. to to shape the world according to our preconceptions. You know, and yeah, and, and I think yeah, if if you've yep. just become really attached to these categories, um, I, I know this sounds a bit patronizing, but you know, it, it, if 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 you become attached to these categories, it's very easy to see them and to not notice the, the gray in between the black and white. You know,
0: yeah. And, yeah. and I think
1: the reality is actually. As with like many species of plants, so like the Brassica, um, what's it? Brassica oleracea, right? The cabbage and yeah, broccoli yeah, yeah. and Brussels sprouts and kohlrabi—it's all one species. You know, it's all one species, yeah. and you've got all of the wild variants of it as well that aren't even edible. You know, that's all those different vegetables we eat are, are, yep. are one species. You know, and you've got this astonishing morphological variation and. You know, and, and I imagine a, a fair degree of discontinuity of variation as well, but it's mm-hmm. still only one sure. species. And yep. um, and and you know, dogs and horses well, and it, carrots. And on and a a, this...
0: a less a uh, a less dramatic example, but one that I talk about a lot when I'm teaching about um, mycology is Agaricus bisporus. You know, right. the um, your white button mushrooms, um, the, your brown button mushrooms, and your portobellos they're all the same. Right, mushroom. right, yeah. And you go to a market, and they're presented as if they're all these different things. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but and it's... and you know,
1: if you told me that a Brussels sprout, a Brussels sprout, that fiendish vegetable, the Brussels sprout, <laughs> <laughs> bane, yeah. of, bane of children across the world, or at least, <laughs> right, at least across yeah. the Western Hemisphere, you know, it, it's the same thing as, as you know, some broccoli. It's just, I would never have guessed it. Yeah. You know? I, I, I've never had a real problem with broccoli, whereas a lot of people have problems with Brussels sprouts, you know. Anyway. No, I,
0: I definitely did. It, took, it was like until I was in high school that I start to re- <laughs> get to where I really could eat Brussels sprouts. I used to call them alien eggs. Uh, right. I yeah. They yeah. Well, they, looks just... so weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean. Uh, yeah. Anyway. And you know.
1: And then. Uh, and then. You know. I mean. Um. But yeah. I mean. You know. Dogs. And human beings. Yeah. I mean. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, exactly. there's just astonishing, astonishing differences between our appearances, and yet we're yeah. emphatically we're all one species. And um, right. And yeah. That's, and that's before you even get to you know humans being sort of consciously involved in. in 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 breeding you know so as with dogs you know it's astonishingly different appearances because of people messing around with breeding yeah
0: um... well and something that's common with cannabis and you've probably seen this too is a lot of times when people are thinking about cannabis specifically they treat it as a unique thing um and a lot of times seem to be trying to recreate the wheel or um I don't know um just kind of perceiving it as a as its own thing versus all other you know botanical science or 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 whatever and um yeah i think it'll just take a little while for that to to breed out and then and then our brains have a tricky thing where we always want to oversimplify things too yeah and that causes uh problems when we're trying to build these kinds of uh categorical models and everything and you know you've got your biases like you mentioned you've got the fact that we're trying to oversimplify things and that we tend to view cannabis as this novel thing yeah. in our lives um, and it just all comes together to create a quite a mess to to wade through
1: yeah i mean there's some my understanding is there are in in plants with um compound leaves the, the, mm-hmm. um you know, because a lot, a lot of a lot of the species thing really comes down to this sort of fixation we have with the leaf shape with cannabis, you know. that right. a, a lot of it, a lot of the weight is put on this one particular thing about leaf shape. My understanding is a, 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 when a botanist looks at it, it's actually fairly straightforward that generally speaking, or, or very often plants with compound leaves like cannabis, you, you tend to just have this quite simple picture, which is that the domesticates tend to have very, tend to have larger leaves and larger mm-hmm. sort of, longer and broader leaves and then the wild variants very often will tend to have smaller leaves like alfalfa does this and and the carrots do this mm-hmm. and 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 actually like we've sort of um uh, sort of the, the 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 countercultural underground taxonomy has kind of basically misconstrued the significance of of leaf shape and leaf size you know mm-hmm. uh, so it's bringing these preconceptions to the to, to it that actually aren't borne out by the, the science you know anyway.
0: right yeah and, and then confounding you know looking at leaf structure or growth habit with um the chemical profile that that plant's going to have and thus the effects it's going to have um that gets grossly oversimplified and that's oh absolutely, a result yeah yeah that's like the other side of the indica sativa thing you have the taxonomical debate, but then you have this other debate you know around yeah. indica sativa around what can you predict um regarding chemistry and effects and all of that It's um
1: and I yeah. think a lot of it has been um again we were we were talking earlier about this sort of um breeders consciously breeding if 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 you read um what neville uh, um i forget is how you pronounce his surname schrnemaker or something anyway. Um if, what he when he talks about breeding uh with Afghan plants, you know, he, he he just he talks about consciously selecting for those sedative effects. You know, so when right. he was breeding for the, the, the fat leaves, broad leaves and, and the sedative effects, but actually by implication what he was saying is that Afghan plants didn't necessarily have that kind of sedative effect that we associate mm-hmm. with the, the stereotypical indica And and certainly when I go to um Pakistan places and I'm smoking Afghan Hashish, you know, it, yes, you do get very sedative hash sometimes, but yeah. by no means the only type of effect that you get from it. You know, chitrali hash has a sort of combination of, uh, of effects. It has quite a, a sort of sativa. Um, mm-hmm. It's quite quite a, quite a sort of up effect, but euphoric effect, but it's very centered as well. So it's not that kind of rushy, uh, rushy, speedy effect that you might associate mm-hmm. with with haze and stuff but it's very centered i guess partly because of the cbd content which has tends to have that uh kind of anti-anxiety um uh clarity to it but then um you know it 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 maybe has a a kind of calming effect but it, it doesn't it doesn't put you to sleep by any means you know and and as far as i'm aware like reading reading about the the history of these things and and, and reading what people who, who lived in Afghanistan for many years um, uh, say that, and, and talking to people there, it's not a, an effect that Afghans and, and Pakistanis particularly look for in Hashish. Mm. Uh, by and large, yeah. people t- talk about a kind of a dreamy, dreaming effect and, and a kind of luxurious effect, or, or they're looking for the sort of spiritual, um, you know, uh, in the super, in the yeah. culture they're looking for you know that connection with God or, or, or something. They're looking for something um, m- more more cerebral or more spiritual, and, yeah, and they're yeah. not looking to get knocked out. But you know, there's a different, um, you know, quite different cultures of quite, quite a lot of differences between the the, the cultures of use. You know. Uh, yeah.
0: Anyway. Well, and this gets into one other thing I wanted to ask you. And let me know if you need to run. I know we've been going for almost two hours now. Right. Uh, well, I
1: mean, I'll, um, no, I mean, I'm happy to keep talking for a bit. I think at some point I, I, I will start to run out of steam. <laughs> I'm okay. enjoying this. So let's cool. that's, that's, that's keep going Excellent. You, excellent. Great. Sort of
0: um, well, one thing I wanted to ask you about is how, um, so this distinction between uh, cannabis that's meant to be smoked as flour versus cannabis that's meant to be processed into hashish. Mm. Um, can you speak a little bit to um, the differences between um, how those different types of plants are traditionally thought of, I guess, because um, out here in, in the United States, at least with the emergence of all of these different extraction techniques, uh, the way people think about, uh, cannabis extracts, um, is a lot different than how people, I think, think about hashish, um, traditionally um it's just kind of become a, a a totally totally different thing and i've i've seen on some of your posts on instagram and, and in some of the discussion we've had here you've you've talked about how different cultures conceptualize those uses differently and so i just kind of wanted to to spin off into that a little bit
1: sure um i mean in 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 um in in, in afghanistan the 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 plants would be used one of two ways Primarily to make hashish, but also uh, as bang, meaning um, in, in, that, in that context, meaning the plant for eating and preparing into condiments mm-hmm. or uh, um, uh, sorry con- confections and you know, sweets and sweets, candy and, yeah. um, and and drinks and stuff. So you know that's the two you, you, you eat it, drink it, or you smoke it. And, and then uh, as as you progress down through the Punjab into what we think of as India uh- politi- politi- modern political india you you, right. you get into an area where you have a lot of bang use in the Punjab traditionally uh you don't have any hash production there you're well within the monsoon uh really serious monsoon area mm-hmm. um so you know hash production you get up in the mountains in in the himalayas but down down in the Punjab historically has primarily been just eating and drinking uh mm. the, the production that is but um you know it, it's, it's only once you get into sort of more into the really um, north india that you get ganja ganja plants mm-hmm. intended intended for smoking and um i mean th- th- there's no question that they're, they're, they're fundamentally very different um you know cultivars in, in the loose sense you know morphologically they're quite different you know the bang bang plants from the from the punjab look um, well, the, the wild ones look um very obviously weedy uh the cultivated ones i think gotcha. tend to look tend to look a lot more like um uh the himalayan um uh multi-purpose kind of fib- fiber seed and 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 resin plants but ha- having said that um i think if if you go way east into thailand and laos it can be quite difficult to differentiate um The the hemp land races they have there from the um, ganja land races, even though they're uh, when I say differentiate, I just mean by by superficial appearance, they can look really really quite similar, but but they're but they're fundamentally very different plants and and understood culturally to be very different plants. So, you know, the Lao the Lao and Thai word for hemp is ban, uh, and you know um, ganja in Lao is um, sa and and they're understood to be two completely different crops. I, I, I've tried smoking um uh Chinese um or rather the the hemp plants that they grow in Laos and they smoke actually not badly. They don't have any obviously sort of um the times I've tried smoking well well grown I'm talking about well grown um hemp flowers which were intended to be used yeah. uh to put into food and stuff. So they were they'd been grown as if you were growing sense they had only very, very large uh, seeds, right? Uh, you know, um, next to the stems, they, the males had been cut down very early on in in, in the growth process. So these were these were nice looking flowers. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and I've tried smoking them. They smoke okay, actually, in my experience, but it just don't get you high, you know, <laughs> Whereas and they're not, right, as, yeah. not they're not as compelling as as um as really as really good uh, ganja is you know really good ganja I think it has a to smoke it has a I don't know it's 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 um it has it has a really good flavor rich aroma very very oily very mm-hmm. oily kind of um you know if, if if you if you make a joint out of it you'll see all the oil kind of going down the side of the of the joints as you smoke mm-hmm. it along, you know it's it's clearly been selected for its desirability as something to smoke, you know, the fla- flavor wise, there's no, there, there shouldn't be anyway, any obnoxious acrid or obviously sort of acrid or undesirable um, qualities. Whereas if you try smoking, I never actually have to be honest, tried smoking, um, Hindu Kush, uh, land races as, as bud, I should, I should have a go and see what mm. it's like, but, um, it, yeah. It, it, anyway, it dried, dried out. It, it's very obviously not as compelling as proper Ganja Land races are when, when once they're cured and ready for smoking. You know, and the same goes for Bang. The same goes for um, yeah, know, um, uh, weedy weedy um, populations in places like Punjab. It's it's all 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 down to selection. You know, all down to people choosing what they yeah. like. And...
0: Well, and it makes me wonder if. Um if some of the folks that are sourcing, um, land race plants, if they appreciate that difference, um, because like I said, you know, out here in the United States, some of those, uh, differences get kind of glossed over, um, or ignored (laughs) as far as why different land races have been selected, you know, where they have. And, you know, that's, that's some of these varieties, you know, have been selected to be a pleasurable, smoke for the flower and others are really more concerned about uh, hash production and uh less about that and and the reason i say that is just because i don't i don't hear when people when i hear people out out here uh in the united states talk about um sourcing land races and everything i don't hear that discussion happening very much of you know appreciating those differences
1: yeah i mean um yeah there's no there's no question that that that's one of the problematic things I've seen, you know, one is the, the most problematic is um, people collecting these things who either don't know the difference between a, a yeah. real land race and a, and a, and a modern hybrid, or you know, or, or some crossing of the two, and, and or, or who or who are being somewhat dishonest in in in, in what they're doing and presenting, obviously yeah. mongrelized plants as as if as if they were um uh as if they were the real thing. Uh, but yeah, also you know, I mean. I mean, the thing is, basically, I think as long as, in, generally speaking, it's great that people are, are starting to bring lots of land-raised seed over to the States, and in, including the weedy plants, because there's a very good chance that this Ruderal stuff will be the most useful in the long term, uh, yeah. given what we're likely to face in the not-too-distant yep. future in terms of climate change, sure. and, or, or yeah. already are facing I And mean, some huge areas of the States are already suffering severe uh, desertification. Whether, stuff. whether
0: and, they admit it or not, yeah
1: yeah and yeah and uh you know so actually the, the more the more the merrier in terms of what people bring over but yeah i mean there is um there is, it is a bit of a problem that there's there's not such a good grasp of the cultural differences and and and, and mm-hmm. between between ganja culture and hash culture and yeah you know with 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 um plants that people complain about like afghani number one uh mm-hmm. the complain about having these kind of dysphoric highs and stuff and mm-hmm. or, or, or 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 not particularly exciting highs uh, yeah that, i think mm-hmm. that probably is due to people um uh breeding breeding um plants that were originally intended for use as hashish uh, mm-hmm. uh, breeding them as as plants which i i, I think right. it doesn't take long to to, to 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 change one into the other but
0: right um, no, yeah
1: it it, it it um it can bring along some undesirable traits you know but yeah. Particularly with those with those um, with those broad-leafleted types, because I, I I I think that it may well be maybe there's some truth in what in what Vavilov thought, and you know maybe it is somewhat some maybe some of that that what he called that obovate obovate leaf shape, like a mm-hmm. egg-shaped leaves. Right. Um, may, may, maybe that maybe that was a maybe that is a trait that was sort of quite close to Maybe those populations were quite feral, and you know, um, it mm-hmm. could be that it could be that that's a, a you know, a characteristic that's passed on, on from um, wild populations, and you know, yeah. say, but I'm not sure.
0: Well, and um, spinning off of this conversation about how um, people that are sourcing land race strains, seeds, and everything, um may have some misconceptions or lack of understanding of of some of these nuanced differences. What would you recommend to cultivators that are wanting to start to interact with land race strains? Um, What would you recommend to them as far as evaluating um, potential strains that they want to incorporate, evaluating the quality of um, seed providers, you know, not just for yourself, but other um land race uh strain seed providers that are out there. What would you recommend uh to cultivators well, to evaluate mm-hmm. the quality of these producers and these um genetics?
1: I mean uh, I, I'm I, I want to be really wary of I mean I'm I'm very sorry, I'm I'm very wary of kind of um getting drawn into too, being too specific and naming names and that kind of stuff. But, oh yeah, no, sure. Yeah the the, the 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 main the main problem I see is that um in terms of the bigger name banks, uh, bigger name seed banks, um, yeah, uh, that, that that are known for working, that, that use land races to market themselves. Let's put it that way, right. and and are known yeah. for working with land races and 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 sort of uh, to some extent um, using the mystique of land races as sort mm-hmm. of marketing. Most of them are. Um, in, in in some in some cases I think all of their strains have crossed them with modern hybrids, so they're not pure land races. So that's the main thing I'd say to look out for because the main thing I see is that people say, "Oh, I'm growing this Acapulco Gold" or "I'm growing this Panama Red," right? And they're not actually growing the real thing; they're growing something that's been hybridized with you know Northern Lights or whatever. So that's probably the biggest and most irritating thing from my perspective. Um, and then. The other thing I would say to be wary of is, um, you know, the a lot of the Instagram groups, particularly the ones associated with India, um, mm-hmm. at least at least at least last time I looked, and I don't pay a huge amount of attention, but last time I looked, were certainly um, presenting some of what they'd collected as being authentic Indian land races, and in fact they were very obviously not, and and they clearly they may have, I mean, I think they were things that have been collected in tropical India, mm-hmm. but that, that had clearly been um, crossed at some point in the past with with uh, modern hybrids. And another thing you see, I mean, at the most ridiculous extreme is you see someone saying, Oh, I collected this amazing uh, strain that's from, you know, Bengal and it's called Mango Kush or whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like,
0: <laughs> you know, come on, man. Like, yeah. Bengal
1: probably gets more, more rain than any we're in the planet, practically, and definitely not getting any Kush strains there. It's quite a long way away from the Hindu Kush. Yeah, so that's right, the most silly yeah. thing. But but in terms of in terms of once they start, when, if, once you've actually got your hands on some authentic landrace seeds, um, I would say the first thing to to that I really think people need to um, exercise a little bit of self discipline with is to not just straight away cross it with something else. You know. Yeah, yeah. First, make some more seeds with it, even if it's with a relatively small population. Just at least keep the strain in its pure form before you start hybridizing everything. Because what people, what there's a misconception I think amongst many people uh, who, who who are getting into growing, which is that hybridizing things creates more variety. Now, it creates, more, <laughs> right. it, it creates more excitement, so there's no question of that, because you start sure. doing some really crazy things when you start crossing very different populations. But it, it's actually the opposite of biodiversity. You know, it's, it's creating homogeneity, in, in the, in the, and that's, yep. it, that's, that's problematic. And, you know, 20 years from now, anyone who actually listens to what I've said will, I think, thank me, because, you know, people who've kept these things in their pure form from back in the 70s, are very much a minority, but they have their hands on something very, very special. If you still have real Thai genetics, yeah, from the 1970s, man, you, you, you you know, I I envy you, you know, whereas the guy, people who've just gone and crossed everything with everything, you know, that they're they're facing what people are increasingly complaining about in the States these days, which is this homogenous kind of gloop of things with different names. And, uh, you know, so keep things pure keep things pure in the land race for, 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 as, for as long as you can. And the more you do it, the more you'll be glad you did, particularly if you start with something good, you know, so, you know, if if I was in this position, and, and, and I'm not because I, I just I'm not in one place for long enough, and I'm not in places, uh, you know, that it's easy to do these things without yeah. getting on the wrong side of the law, and it's something I try and avoid doing. But if, if I was, I, I would be working with things in their pure form, you know, I get my hand on a really good tropical uh, sativa, inverted commas, you know, something Thai, mm. something Congolese, or you know, or Lao, or whatever, and I, I'd, I'd, I'd be, I'd be working with that in its pure form, you know, because yeah. that, 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 then you'd have some real gold, you know. Um, and similarly, you know, um, same goes for Afghan plants. You know, I'd be keeping yeah. something in its pure form and in, in it. So you know, don't hybridize everything. It's just I, I see people doing. They're like, "Oh man, I, I just hybridized your kamani with this thing." And I'm like, "Awesome!" I mean, I imagine you must have some cool plants, but please keep it in. The, in <laughs> well, yeah, you forms. can't
0: go backwards.
1: <laughs> no, that's the thing. You can't. It's ex- exactly the point. Yeah, you cannot yeah. go backwards.
0: And and with that trend, the value of these genetics is only going to go up um, because yeah. the the genetic pool is going to get smaller and smaller yep um so yeah it's very it's very
1: short-sighted but it's very short-sighted but it's 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 the temptation is just so strong you know because to to, it is i I understand if you're only working with a with a handful of plants it's 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 difficult to sort of um to to conceive of it but you know it, it just anything in its pure form i mean you know um, Mel Frank, who 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 did most of the work that everyone else is capitalizing on these days. Yeah, yeah, he, he, yeah. some of his strains he started with uh, with a, just a handful of, of of seeds. You know, and and, uh, and and you know, and and he would um he at the beginning he wasn't using the so-called cloning technique. You know, he was he mm-hmm. was just pollinating stuff, and then he'd give he'd give the the the, the buds to his his friends, and, and and he'd remember which stuff he'd given to who. And if they mm-hmm. said it was good, he used the seeds from that the next year. And by the end of the seventies, he'd radically transformed what people were smoking. You know, yep.
0: uh, he, he,
1: he and of course other people, but you know most famously uh, Mel Frank. And uh, I, I wish people would take his uh, lead. You know, and I wish he had, I wish actually he had a bit more credit than he gets for, for yeah, what yeah. he he does, because there are other characters who have, have sort of more, gained more notoriety, whereas he. You know, he he's not um outside of uh, you know the more nerdy circles he's not as well known as i think he perhaps should be considering uh how much he's contributed to things yeah um anyway yeah, you know, so yeah Oh,
0: and it's so hard to to push back against the the marketing pressure um, uh, yeah you know because people love things that have uh consumers tend to gravitate towards things that have interesting names and mm-hmm. then with the land race strains um you know it's like a nostalgic thing of being able to see some old strain name that you might have come across um that would have been imported in the you know 60s or 70s and seeing it partnered with something new it makes you feel i don't know there's there's like the sense of novelty and nostalgia mixed together um yeah. and and so i can totally see the the pressure um to hybridize the land strains um mm-hmm. to try to you know just because they'll almost certainly sell um on the market because um, they'll appear really well, unique th- th- but
1: th- there's also the fact that you know it, it's to it okay, if you if you um if you have some seeds from tropical Africa or Southeast Asia, uh, Ganja land races, it's it's very easy to very quickly find extremely uh, you know, cons- markedly potent plants are quite easy yeah, to find, yeah, right. Whereas if you have a real land race from the Hindu Kush or somewhere, right, you know, THC levels, so we even find something in sort of plus 10 percent bracket, mm-hmm. yep. you're gonna to have to grow a fair number of plants. So the, the, the reason a lot of um, uh, seed banks don't sell pure land races is, is, is or in fact, most don't is, is simply mm-hmm. because they're not of that much use to someone who, who who's not specifically very interested in that thing. And who's got limited space because you, you know, you I guess it's just changing a bit these days, because actually people actually want CBD and things like that. And, then, and right. people also are also a lot more people are, are not so bothered about extreme potency, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. some people do grow a couple of plants and, um, and you know, some do it for nostalgia, and some do it for medicinal reasons, and, and mm-hmm. so on. But um, in, in terms of land races that are a ready match for the potency of a lot of the stronger stuff that you're going to buy in the dispensary these days. That really is pretty much only stuff like Thai and Malawi and Congolese and South Indian mm-hmm. strains like Kerala and so on. You know, if you, if you were to buy a pack of 12 seeds of those out of 12 seeds, there's a pretty good chance you could find something that's sort of, you know, plus 15% THC if, if you know, if it's a Great. good strain. But if, if you buy a pack of Lebanese seeds, you might get some fabulous plants beautiful plants very resinous right. plants but the chance the chance of finding one that's going to be beyond 10 percent thc mm-hmm. is 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 pretty low if you buy 12 i'd say there's a very low chance if you just buy 12 yeah you know so it's it, it it requires a bit of work and if, if you if you're only working out of a wardrobe or if you're if you're, if you're legally only allowed to grow like a, f- a handful of plants right you're 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 making a just the sheer economics of it, the practicality of it I means yep. it doesn't make much sense to grow uh, land races. So, which is why, you know, most seed banks um, uh, ignore them. But the thing is, I, what I would say is that that doesn't excuse what a lot of seed banks do, which is selling things that just are not land races as land races. That to me is, is a, is a, yeah. is a, is a shitty move. You know, it's like, don't just use yeah, these plants for no, sort of marketing and marketing is you know they're actually much more significant than that in in every respect
0: and this um moves into something else i wanted to ask you because what pops Mm -hmm. into my head about uh popular seed banks misleading people is there are a lot of researchers out there that are wanting to uh work with these varieties and trying to figure out how to Mm -hmm. source seed and everything so Mm -hmm. you know one aspect is you know that misleading marketing strategy can really screw up um, mm-hmm. Some research efforts, and um, yeah. one thing that that you and I briefly talked about um, outside of this podcast is that you were wanting to try to get involved in um, some different projects to kind of help make mm-hmm. these true to type land race strains available for research C- can you speak a little bit about what you're trying to do in that effort
1: um the, the, uh, i I'm, I'm reticent to simply because it's it's such early days and in, in sure, terms sure of the- yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I have been, um, I, I am in the process of, and I have been for a while now, uh, it, uh, it, it co- collaborating with um, some research projects which ought to come to fruition in terms of papers being published and so on uh, late next year, I would think. Um, yeah. I don't want to say much more about it than that, but it, it, it um, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's really exciting to be able to, um Get involved with something like that because it, it also means I can expand the kind of collecting I'm doing, um, yep. and it, you know, because it's 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 um it's pretty exhausting the amount of travel that goes into
0: yeah I'm sure
1: to 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 to, to doing these trips and uh, uh, between sort of October and March most years I'll I'll go and do that and then um, but it, it, it's it's an it's an added incentive to, to 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 do this kind of collection particularly for um. Uh, ruderal, weedy cannabis, which mm-hmm. I wouldn't normally bother um, collecting because it it it, the, it doesn't pay for itself because most people aren't interested in it. Right. But n- now I can go and collect things like that, which are hugely significant. Whereas in the past, I've only collected um, those types of strains in 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 the Himalaya because of uh, uh, junk jungly, as they call it, which is kind of um, which is uh, hash uh, hand rubbed in hand rubbed hash made from weedy or escaped, mm. uh, it will generate intermediate plants actually that you find in the Himalayas, which some people really like it certainly has a, a quite a mystique to it. So I have collected mm. those in the past. But in terms of collaborating on projects, yeah, I mean, there's some if you know, if anyone out there is interested, I'm, I'm very much up for getting uh, as many seeds as I can to um, people who've got the uh, Facilities to store these things long term and also keep them going, uh, you know, uh, long term. Because uh, you know, at the minute I'm I'm operating out of a fridge essentially, a couple of right. fridges. That's my, you know, that's my, um, that's what I'm doing. You know, dehumidifiers and bags of silica yeah. gel and 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 um, you know, I don't have the facilities uh, to keep these things um, long term. What 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 I've always the, the the principle I've always operated on up till now is um, that I'm going to keep doing this as long as people are interested and until such time as I eventually finish this bloody book that I keep talking about, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> which is probably never. But it, it, you know, it, it, um,
0: <laughs> uh, I, I understand that game yeah. too. Yep.
1: Yeah. So, well, you finished one though. You you're, you're, well, you're you've, I, you've entered a different league to me. You're published. You know, I'm I'm. Uh, I'm I'm still um, you know talking about it. it. I don't (laughs) I don't
0: feel like it's finished. I feel like what I put out was the first draft.
1: Oh, okay, okay, well, (laughs) and it's gonna it's
0: gonna be going through revisions. But I I totally understand your pain.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean you know many of the best books get revised um, until until the very end. But it's it's um, the you know so anyway I mean that's 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 where I'm at. So you know I. Um, and if anyone wants to get in touch who, who's 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 serious about um, the preservation and research aspects of land races, I'm you know
0: yeah.
1: uh, if if they can get the licenses or if there's somewhere where you don't need licenses because many places you don't need licenses to import cannabis mm-hmm. seed, you know, bring it on because um, my 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 anxiety, my constant anxiety is 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 you know the fact that as I say, I've just got a couple of fridges full of seeds and. You know, it's all it takes is a power cut or something, and you know the, right, the whole lot, yeah. the whole lot is it's gone. Is, yeah, is, is is at risk, and yeah. So, um, yeah. But I, but I, I, at the minute, I, I I know places I can go to that have the real thing, as far as I can tell, and and um, yeah. I'm very very confident are the real thing, and and um. So what I've been doing is just going back to these places again and again, um, and 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 getting more of this more of the yeah. same thing, um
0: but you know like wow. uh,
1: just to just 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 to finish that thought i mean you know there's places i've been to where uh, like in northeast india where i've 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 gone uh one year and 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 um well, we've gone a, a few times to like a uh, manipur where they have a really interesting ganja culture very strong land races and 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 things are, are, are still pretty pure and um and and uh, you know, I've gone one year and I've I've met people and I've met farmers and I've got fantastic plants, and then I thought, well, you know, blase. Kind of thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll go back there in a couple of years. So I've sold all the yeah, seeds, yeah. kept just a handful, and then and then suddenly discovered that I've gone back there another year and and they've had a huge eradication program all around the valley. And, oh man! Yeah. And 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 um, everything's it's been really difficult to to, to find anyone. And, people who i knew have have stopped growing or or, or they're paranoid about about doing the thing you know so it's these things are very tenuous you know so um yeah uh, it's 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 now or never basically
0: yeah well i feel hopeful for the the future of land race strains in general for several reasons Mm -hmm. i mean one is there is starting to be a greater appreciation for things other than thc content Mm -hmm. in plants and so that's you know, add some motivation for people to work with, you know, to not be driven just by high THC yielding, uh, cultivars. Mm -hmm. Um, and as cannabis laws start to change around the world, um, there'll be more incentive, you know, going way back to what we were saying earlier about, um, the government's role in, um, engaging in these, um, Efforts to preserve the biodiversity and everything. I think we'll see more universities, um, you know, uh, government-sponsored uh, schools and and research initiatives and things that are, um, you know, going to take this more seriously and that have those resources that already are working with seed banks, uh, you know, for all, all sorts of other plants that can integrate cannabis into those into those models, mm-hmm. um, and so i think i think there'll there'll be a good trend going forward if things continue like they are but like you said it's it's sort of a um a race against time um, oh yeah absolutely because, yeah it needs to happen it needs to happen soon and and hopefully i can help you with that i mean you know there's a variety mm-hmm. of uh research groups and stuff that i'm connected to that you know everyone right now is just trying to figure out how to move forward because the laws are changing so fast and trying to figure out what they can and can't do and what they can invest resources in but you know like i said stemming from the other botanical work that i've done you know i really want to see this happen with cannabis just like i want to see it with every other plant you know that Mm. um you know we need to be protecting biodiversity for many reasons um you know like you mentioned um you know things are changing climate's changing Um, we need crops that are drought resistant and that are resistant to to pests and that sort of thing, especially as, you know, as monocrop farming continues and the application of pesticides and things continues and you get these pests that become very uh, adapted to, um, you know, uh, pest controls. Um, Having inherent defenses in the plants is very important. Um, And then also, you know, we just have no idea what we're going to discover in these varieties of plants c- because we don't necessarily have the perspective right now to understand how to value all of these other characteristics and, you know, uh, the the chemical diversities of, of these plants and, you know, and who knows what else um, that can be yeah. hiding in that genetic diversity that we just don't, we just can't see right now. So we just don't have that perspective. Um, yeah, and and so. and... and...
1: And um, you know, I think there's a long way to go um, in terms of just breeding um, really uh, advanced industrial crops,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, with, with with cannabis. And the, the, the way the way most people, uh, in, including um, commercial uh, operations, are, are growing these days, is, is hugely inefficient. It's it's yeah, a long yeah. way from 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 where it's going to be. Twenty years from now, um, yep. In, in terms of the sort of yield you can get uh, per square meter, uh, once they've got them um, going with their breeding um, plants for that, you know, you can grow very close-packed, sort of yep. single stem, single stem cannabis plants that you can grow like you would a lot of other industrial crops. The the, the, the yields people are going to get are going to be vastly Vastly greater than what people are doing now. You see these fields of massively branched, um, oh, big, yeah. round, big trees, round, big trees <laughs> with you know yeah. several square, square, several, several, um, you know me- meters of space around mm-hmm. them, just empty space, and everywhere there's empty space, you know. And um, so yeah, I mean it's uh, wh- whoever gets on the case with them, um, with 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 breeding proper industrial cannabis crops now is going to be you know.
0: Way ahead of the game, um, in, yeah, yeah, and finding but I mean,
1: these
0: I, 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 yeah. finding Sorry. these regionally adapted land race strains, I think um, you know we we sort of talked about it, but I want to make sure we explicitly state it that for cultivators that are wanting to reduce uh, the amount of energy required to to cultivate these plants, it becomes really important to find plants that are already adapted to the type of ecoregion that you're in, even yeah. if you're not in the same country or continent. Um, yeah. you know that that becomes very important. Trying to find something that's appropriate yeah. for for the environment. If you're in a, a very arid environment like we are here in, uh, so I'm in Southern Oregon, so it's more arid here than it is in Northern Oregon. Right. Uh, so it's more like Northern California. You know, yeah. you want you want a different type of cultivar than if you're in a more humid area. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you know, and then, um, elevation differences and everything you know play into that as well. And so. Yeah, I think yeah. I think there's a there's a good path forward for land strains once people can figure out how to value all of those components, and that's where you know a conversation like we're having right now I think is important for people to hear so that they can maybe start to think about these things and broaden their perspectives about these plants.
1: Sure, I mean um, it's and it's and, and just I mean uh, what I what I get in terms of feedback from people. Um, even even doing the type of thing that i've just been disparaging like which is you know find finding one uh good specimen of a land race and, and crossing it with a modern hybrid mm-hmm. even what you can get from just doing that um people have been amazed about the, the ability of those crosses to 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 withstand um you know drought conditions so people have yeah. gone away and and not watered their plants and come back and everything's been dead apart from this one uh, land yep. cross that's merrily sitting there with its leaves looking all happy and, and just, <laughs> yep. you know, it's it's gone for days without any water. So it's things like kind of Syrian, Lebanese and Egyptian uh, land yeah. races, which have, have been grown in appalling conditions uh, in some cases, particularly as prohibition has, has, has become more severe, you know, they've moved into more and more unsuitable yeah. environments. And ironically, that's actually resulted in in, in you know, plants are very well adapted to the kind of extremes that we're going to be dealing with with climate change. And, and um, the other thing you were mentioning reminded me that there, what happens when you take these modern hybrids, um, particularly the Indica dominant um, types, inverted commas, to places like Cambodia and the tropics, you know they, they do not perform well at all. We really don't have much in I mean there are the the haze and things which I imagine would do pretty well in um and, and you know, crosses with Thai, like kind of um tie tie types crossed with skunk and stuff that do perform quite well in the tropics. But we we don't really have any sort of um it's early days in terms of breeding plants that are gonna deal with um the to- the type of, you know, humidity and and, and yeah. rainfall rainfall levels and diseases that you get in the tropics. Um, if, if, when, when, if you take these kind of cush type plants to Cambodia, they just get savaged. I, <laughs> I, I imagine they, I, I imagine they've been growing them long enough there now that actually they've started to just, uh, yeah, you know, adapt. by process of elimination, they have started to, to adapt, but, but, you know, in, in terms of resistance to fun fungus and bacteria and mm-hmm. pests, uh, the, 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 land races, that, you get in Thailand and stuff are are just much better at dealing with that kind of thing, you know? So, um, yeah. 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 There's, there's all kinds of potential there, like you're saying and much more than we're aware of at this particular point. Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, at this point we've been going about two and a half hours. I wanna uh, yeah. go ahead and wrap things up <laughs> but i I really appreciate you being willing to spend so much time uh to talk to me about all this. It's been super fascinating. I've really enjoyed uh speaking well, with you and it's been a pleasure and uh, being able to go off on yeah and if you ever want to sit down again if anything uh, comes up that you want to talk about um, or revisit I'm happy to sit down again with you and at some point I'm trying to figure out some ways that I can uh, do some international travel. I'm, I'm connected to some uh, research and education groups out in um, sort of Eastern Europe and um, have been wanting to uh, also trying to work on some projects kind of out towards New Zealand and all of that. So I'm trying to figure out a way I can do an international tour. If I can ever get out there, I'm going to try to connect with you. Um, absolutely, absolutely.
1: yeah, do it. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Totally. You're conversant in the whole aspects of it that i know very little about you know the getting into the fine details of the genetics and that sort of aspects that you know
0: sure yeah and i i love i love being it. able to uh have conversations with people that understand so much about things that i have my own gaps of knowledge in and being yeah. able to bounce right back course. and forth and and if you're ever in the states um, and make your way out towards Oregon or anything, um, please let me know. Uh, we'll get together. Oh uh, yeah,
1: I mean one of these days it, it's going to happen. I don't know when, but uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I have I have I have um, family out in Oregon as well, and um, oh great on, on both sides of the states, in fact. Um, so yeah, you know it's 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 always in the back of my mind to do a trip to America. It's a, yeah, a long, yeah. Time, a long time since I was there.
0: Cool. Awesome. Well, uh, is there anything else before we sign off that you want to share with listeners, anything about the Real Seed Company? Um, we'll give you a second to kind of, um, plug all of that.
1: Um, well, yeah, I'm, um, uh, get if, if you are in the States and you do want to, um, or, or order seeds and you're in a place where you're, um, comfortable doing that in terms of the law, then you, you can buy direct from, uh, us, um, at, um an, an, another website that I've started recently that was originally intended to be a more commercial venture but it's it's in, in very early stages but it's some um, quickseeds. that's kwik <laughs> quickseeds.com. Uh, it was, a, it, was it, it was it was a sort of in joke between me and a couple of my friends there's 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 a there's a, there's a discount um food retailer that is uh in in, in the uk that um <laughs> and uh, it was it, it was it was actually never something serious and then and then we designed this banner for it and we thought well, actually that kind of looks quite good and then you know it, it, anyway i i um I, I started that as a kind of a as, as, as a more commercial venture and somewhere that i could list things that i wouldn't be comfortable putting on the real seed company website like things like strains that i wasn't sure were pure or um, hybrids gotcha, that people yeah. were working with and sort of stabilized things like um, we've got kind of um, a, a version of Deep Chunk, which is a, a Afghan. Um, uh, it's generally agreed to be a pure Afghan, sort of inbred Afghan, and, and and things like that on there. So anyway.
0: Well, if in whenever you do make it out here, we'll make sure to um, try to do some tours of a lot of these yeah. these different uh, farms and everything, so you can. Um. Yeah, have a chance to to really connect with some of these cultivators. Probably some of them that may even you know end up working with some of your seed. That'd be that would be, be amazing. Re- yeah, that'd be really fascinating to see.
1: One of these one of these days.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, keep me posted on what you have going on, and um, you know, I'm sure we'll stay connected through social media and email and everything. But I look forward to seeing how everything uh, continues for you and. I'll keep, um, you know, with the education work that I do, try to help people understand why they need to value these land race drains. And hopefully we can work together, to try to protect some of that diversity.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's great. Great talking to you. I've really enjoyed it.
0: Awesome. Yeah, likewise. All right, everybody that's listening, um, that'll do it uh, for today. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, if you want to learn more about the Curious About Canvas podcast, you can visit cacpodcast.com or connect with Curious About Cannabis on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Ditcher, et cetera, et cetera. Most of the places where podcasts are these days. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening and I'll talk to you next time. Thanks so much and take it easy. If you wanna learn more about cannabis, you can check out the Curious About Cannabis book Available now on Amazon.com and other online book retailers. The Curious About Cannabis podcast is presented by Natural Learning Enterprises, a science education company dedicated to the enhancement of public scientific literacy through education about the natural world. Curious About Cannabis is just one of several learning initiatives produced by Natural Learning Enterprises. To learn more, go to www.naturallearningenterprises.com or connect with NLE on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.